This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. Episode 144. I am your co-host, Dimitri. I'm Khalid. And today, we got the beginning of something big brewing. Yeah. I think it's safe to say. Yes. Um, uh, we're starting recording later than we usually do, so yeah. we have to sort of take a uh, an unorthodox approach to this. But, I mean, it goes without saying, we know that this is going to take some hours to unpack. Yeah. Well, like I said, this is probably going to end up being longer than a normal episode, you know, because we're going to just do another day of this instead of, yeah. It may be a very, it may be a very rare three-parter. Hmm, yeah, you know? true. It might be a three-parter. It might split that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this is uh, this is also, I think, our, our first episode together. In a like long time. Our first subliminal may- jihad Maybe episode. two months. Yes. Abs- yep. In a long-ass time. I'm back. I'm probably just going to plow right through Iftar and just break fast in two hours (laughs) just to record this episode because we're starting late. Um, Yeah, it's a special Mm -hmm. time of year. But, you know, (laughs) fasting, it's the original Mm -hmm. form of, uh, you know, uh, psychedelics, (laughs) if you think about it. I guess you could say that. Well, they say, say I I think a lot of people in Silicon Valley also experiment with, with intermittent fasting or fasting these days. So I hear, right? Yeah, that's a hot thing. Yeah. It's a very um, hot thing right now. And in mm-hmm. fact, like, you know, when these shamans take ayahuasca, they're supposed to, I, they, you know, no one actually does this now. Like none of these, to these like, you know, uh, tourists who go out there or whatever, but it's supposed to be like a whole process of like fasting or only eating like banana paste or, or whatever beforehand. Um, so, that's right. Know. Yeah. When people go to like Peru, yeah. that's a, I think that there's a lot of, even people that do it in America, like if they're very hardcore about it, they'll pretty much eat nothing like the day before that always sounds a little much for me but yeah today we're back and we're gonna go the fuck in on something that's like been on our list for a very long time yes uh, which should be no surprise to anybody one of our most controversial topics we're gonna come back into you know in full form the hectoring church ladies are are here you know we're we're in we're here to to hector and to scold and to make everyone feel yes, bad. The comrade tipper um, gores are bad. Exactly. Yeah. But no, actually, I'm I'm being facetious because I think that we should actually like do a little bit of a little bit of hand holding. Uh, I think we should be do a little bit of guiding and a little bit of like a support. And what's like the proper term? I think you know. Uh, uh, holding space. 
Hold, yeah, we should I, definitely hold space. I would space. like to hold, hold space. Yeah, yeah, well, I think, you know, we're going to be involved in psychedelic spaces in this podcast for sure. Um, we're going to be involved in a lot of different spaces. We're going to be involved in sus uh spaces we're gonna be involved in uh all sorts of spaces uh for sure and we're gonna be holding all sorts of spaces but what's like the pre-equivalent of aftercare no you're right actually hold on i mean well i think there's aftercare but yeah but there's pre-care as well no this just and i think we should do some um, some pre-care yeah well yeah no you're right okay no actually this is a great idea because um well we've i think we both studied how these things go and as i'll probably talk about in our like later installments of this, I have a little bit of familiarity uh, going some years back on how these things function. And also because I know that uh, this episode or maybe trilogy of episodes is probably going to be as long as a psychedelic journey on like LSD or ayahuasca in the sense that it might be six to nine hours long. So I think you're right. We should sort of model... Uh, the structure of this episode and our introduction. Wow, after that's a, hot, that's a, a guided that's a journey high concept, all of a sudden, I, yeah. Well, I'm a little, ju- I'm a little juiced up from talking to Aaron Moulton, so I'm thinking maybe we should step in the role of being the shaman of wow you know, this journey for our audience. This is interesting. It it, it fits. Mm-hmm. It fits. No, I think this is so okay. What I think um, the appropriate thing to do as we start here is, you know, we're all going to sit around in a circle here. <laughs> And okay. we are all going to state our intentions for this journey and also what might be on our mind right now, where we're at, um, any fears or apprehensions or expectations that we might have and put them out there, you know, <laughs> to the group and, you know, and sit with them and everyone else can just listen and hold space, mm-hmm. etc. And, you know, before we get trippy you know we want to sit around in a sober fashion and center ourselves right so what are our intentions today call it why don't you go first what are are your intentions with this episode because i think this is also very valuable to uh for people who do think we're church ladies and you know i think Mm -hmm. i'm thinking back of many comments people have made about us and their dissatisfaction their dissatisfaction with how we might have talked about psychedelics in the past. Yes, and, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. I think, like, my favorite of all time, you know, I, I really love this one. Like, I think, like, somebody said, like, oh, it's obvious Dimitri and Khalid have never done, like, <laughs> yes. drugs or psychedelics or anything yeah. because they hate the Grateful Dead and they <laughs> like the Eagles. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Which is great. I mean, by the way, like, uh, take some mushrooms and listen to the Eagles, okay? Like, uh, you will not be disappointed, first of all. Second of all, it's just like, LOL, that's like, uh, it's, I think, maybe I can understand where maybe that assumption comes from, but... Um, but we are not like complete. Um, I actually don't know much, call it about your prior like journeying experience. I've in been the hesitant world to like say anything because I feel like if I say I had like a bad experience, people will be like, "Oh, you know, you had a bad experience," and I just like sort of say I, I haven't had any experience. Then it's like, you know, oh, well, you don't know. But there's no way to win with. Okay, see, I'm not doing what my intention was, which is to come from a place of love and to uh, come okay. from a place of concern <laughs> and care. Which was, you know, because I do want to like hold space for people's feel attachment to the hope and the promise of psychedelics. You know, I get it. Like, and I don't even want to necessarily rule out that like there's any 
possible like medicinal benefit or whatever for some of these drugs in terms of like you know treating uh mental but like you know again i think people who listen to the show know that like that's a very fraught domain like when it comes to sort of the pathologization of you know the yeah, different affects like where uh it's a sort of dicey area like where it comes to sort of the prescription of i think that's a a messy place where uh, a lot of the people who will talk about in the episode where uh as as time wears on like they will perhaps argue that like big pharma uh will take good care of you and uh you know will uh, it is it can be trusted with these things and in fact will be great curators of the uh the mystical and sacred nature of uh these plant medicines uh but I think that maybe listeners might understand. So coming from a place of love, I guess my intention is just uh, raise some some concerns uh, to sort of get like ask people to maybe uh, hold to hold space or hold their horses with the uh, great eagerness and the great sort of uh, um, excitement. Because I, I know, you know, I understand. I feel like uh, maybe this is part of my experience of knowing knowing you, Dimitri. I understand the phenomenon of uh, becoming very excited and like caught up in the promise of like a new idea you know i've experienced it myself definitely witnessed it in dimitri many times and uh you know i think that that uh is going on a little bit with psychedelics and our past conversations about it i think it kind of expressed this idea that it becomes kind of a panacea where it's this sort of magic thing that's going to solve all of our problems like and really most of our problems are not about uh, people's psyches or their awareness or their ideas like partially uh, even if psychedelics can transform those things and even if they transform those things in a good way which I think is both of those things are, are still open questions <laughs> but uh, you know even if they did you know do this then it's a manifest fact that a lot of the people who are so heavily invested in these things and are so heavily sort of pushing their commercialization and their legalization and their uh, application to all sorts of maladies uh, or just sort of, you know, and also always constantly trying to maintain the idea that actually it's not just about medicine. Like these are useful in general, you know, just as part of your like work life or something. Uh, this is, you know, a new society that we're entering where, uh, in the words of, uh, I think it was Timothy Leary who uh, said something like, you know, in the future, uh, quote, you will be asking your children when they come home from school, not what books are you reading, but which molecules are you using to open up new libraries of Congress inside your nervous system? <laughs> I think many people have this kind of uh, vision, but a lot of the people who are pushing this idea that like these drugs, you know, once they are integrated fully into our lives, are going to solve all of these social problems. They're the ones who perpetuate all these social problems through the immense power that they wield. And they haven't done anything to resolve them or to even remedy them at all. And in fact, are sometimes Peter Thiel. So, and actually are often Peter Thiel. So. <laughs> Very often. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I'm just thinking, suggesting that, you know, maybe people should let down some of the barrier that I was referring to when I began this long sort of uh, diatribe. Where saying, you know, there's no way to win with this, this idiot, you know, right? People often also might accuse us of being, you know, closed-minded or sort of fundamentalist about certain things. Uh, you know, uh, our belief in gin, or my belief in jinn, Dimitri's jinn agnosticism, yeah, uh, yeah. various other things, our, our suggestion curious. that God may exist, you know, that uh, to them uh, suggests that we're, you know, these sort of old Baptist Southern church ladies. But uh, to me, I think there's a little bit of a fundamentalism about the the glories, the, the, the sort of uh, 
the glories of, of psychedelics and the sort of religious awe around these these drugs uh, that people don't want to see questioned or don't want to hear any anything negative floated about. And I think that uh, you know those of us who subscribe to uh, older uh, faiths have had to sort of face those those problems and the sort of uh, the darknesses that exist within the practice of our religions. And I think that people who uh, believe in the salvific uh, power of these drugs should also have to entertain uh, or acknowledge that aspect of them. I think that's very fair, Colin. Thank you. Thank you okay. for sharing that with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, I agree with that. I mean, the way in which uh, it's being afforded kind of the, the promise and the power of like religion, but then doesn't have to be criticized along kind of the same lines as a religion like it gets away with stuff that we would rightfully criticize it's in any um it has organized a, religion like sexual abuse uh, uh yeah but not to get ahead of ourselves yeah i think that um, a lot of parallels can be drawn with the quantum physics things and in fact i think a lot of people you know in this sphere will like invoke that to sort of suggest things about the psychedelic experience like there's a veneer of uh scientific uh research over it but a lot of it is just pure metaphysics or even you know these are the people who will just use the term mysticism in the way that i absolutely hate but you know they really do just truly mystify things where there's a lot of belief under running this stuff that has nothing to do with any kind of like not that you know even the most empirical science sometimes does and but really like there's a lot of uh belief and uh esoteric views bound up in the way this is discoursed uh there's just a veneer over it of like seriousness these days i i think it's very fair to say given everything we've kind of read over that in a lot of respects the so-called science around psychedelics research by some of the biggest names in the psychedelic underground can much more accurately be called alchemy than science. And alchemy I mean that mostly in the sense of like in many respects, but yeah, I see your point. Well, I mean <laughs> yeah. I mean that in terms of the intentionality of it and yeah. because like science is about like you know empirically verifying like certain therapeutic benefits and things like that, but most of the people that worked on these things now they're not all exactly the same, but there is a metaphysical uh, almost you know esoteric one could say occult alchemical kind of intent behind the creation and distribution of these drugs um and it's not simply they, they're interested i mean i think the the pushing as we're going to really get into the pushing for say like clinical trials for a lot of drugs like mdma or lsd or psilocybin they are like a means to an end, basically, but they are not necessarily, uh, but it's somewhat different than a more kind of mainstream, like traditional scientist, you know, working above ground in the corporate environment, perhaps would, or maybe in a way, it's not so different, because <laughs> above ground, it's all about profit and market share and all these things. And uh, unfortunately, that seems to have seeped in to the underworld. Of our uh, uh, our dear, you know, psychedelic or, counterculture. Yeah, or always been sort of fundamentally bound up with it. Like they've, in a way, they've, uh, what's the best way to put it? Like they've theologized that profit motive as some kind of like profound uh, form of enlightenment. 
when real like they like the sort of theosis that they experience. And I think this is also where the metaphor of alchemy comes in, in terms of the great work as being sort of uh, an ascent to union with the divine or, or something like that. Their form of union with the divine is like achieving godhood for themselves, transcend like this feeling of I am God and not in a way of the effacement of the self. Maybe if that happens in the psychedelic experience, that doesn't transfer over into the actual realization of these things politically uh, or materially. It's a, their own sense of themselves as special chosen people who are godlike and have the power of God and no more than these, you know, these dweebs who don't understand psychedelics or, or whatever, or the common <laughs> people who need to be uplifted. You know, they yeah. are, 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 you know, they're, they're special. Yeah. Uh, in some way. There's a lot going on there that I think is much more complex than a kind of simple binary of well-intentioned, enlightened, merry pranksters that believe in the promise of this thing rightfully and like chud, like DEA guys who just like, as we hear it again and again and again, just don't get it at all, man. And like are just like, you know, they're trying to crack down on it, or as Terrence McKenna would kind of say, they're trying to crack down on it because they know how powerful it is right. and they know that it would revolutionize everything. So I think we're trying to get beyond maybe that simple binary talking about, you know, when we talk about psychedelics. Now, before we go any further, I, I'd like to share, if it's okay, I'd like to share my intentions of course, for this yes. episode. Sorry, yes. I mean, because I, I, I do the feel shaman, it, it's. So, uh, Right. That's sure. What we well, we, you know, we're both. Co oh. I, we could call ourselves co-facilitators. Co um, okay. I mean, good. actually, it's on it's on brand for both of us there for to be a two person therapy team. Right. Right. I think so. We'll talk in a little bit about the very interesting reasons why that <laughs> became a rule in the first place. Mm -hmm. But in our case, uh, it's generally regarded as safer when there's two facilitators there. Yes. Um, usually a man and a woman. But <laughs> we'll have to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so my, here, I'll take the little bundle of sage here, mm -hmm. you know, which signifies that it's my turn to speak. Right. Um, oh, we that should use that on every around. episode. Uh, but uh, yeah, I feel like we'd just be fighting <laughs> over it though. <laughs> uh, it'd be a real scrap. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I, yeah, I think before we dive any further, uh, in like a critical paranoid way, yeah, I, I do want to say off the bat that, you know, my criticism in like you know past episodes about psychedelics is not coming from a place of ignorance or non-experience or or for that matter a kind of like bitterness like I had a bad trip with them and I hate them or something like that um, no I've had a number of experiences with a lot of the substances that we're going to be like talking about today I have a uh, I have taken these over the years, you know, primarily like in my younger, you know, adulthood, like early 20s or whatever. And, it, and I have to say, like, on the whole, have had in my own personal, you know, experience or subjectivity, like many more positive than negative. I could think of a small number of bad trips, but I think, you know, the majority of times that I bought the ticket and took the ride there were like, there was you know positive i have positive memories attached to this and i'll probably talk a little more later about maybe doing this in an actual kind of um organized like 
shamanic slash paratherapeutic context. Yes. I won't get into that for now, but I think you remember, Call It, that, like you said, I, I can get very excited about new ideas. There was a time, like, years ago when I got very optimistic about psychedelics. Like, I'd always been kind of curious about them. Obviously, as I've referenced many, many times, I grew up in the East San Francisco Bay Area, which, as we, like, continue to uncover in many, many episodes, there's so many layers of this being, like, the beating heart of the psychedelic movement and the underground in the United States, right? In the 60s and 70s. And I was mostly unaware of this, like, growing up there. But, you know, you go to places like Berkeley or, like, Haight-Ashbury, you know, it it was kind of always visible growing up. Or you'd hear about, like, you know, your friends, like, older siblings would be, like, doing acid. Like, you know, I think when I was a little kid, it was, like, the, the, the final years of the Grateful Dead, like, before Jerry died. And then, like, when he died, I remember, like, I just, you know, I'd see, like, you know, Jerry Garcia shit and, like, Grateful Dead shit all around growing up and so and then like once you get into high school and stuff you know i think we referenced it like talking to christ koopa but like the hyphy movement in the mid-2000s which happened when i was in high school around you know mac dre e40 uh andre nicotina that popularized ecstasy in a way that it had not been popularized before and um so there's kind of like i have a lot of like personal memories kind of attached to all this stuff and I, you know, it was it was sort of in the environment. And I generally had a pretty positive, like, optimistic view of most of the stuff that I encountered. But then as the years went on, and when I started learning about the stuff that we like to talk about a lot these days, like, a sort of different picture emerged for me. And I gradually became more skeptical and critical of the sort of whole phenomenon, like the historical phenomenon of psychedelics, as well as how it was playing out in like the 2010s, because I think I had sort of like, you know, taken a break for a while or, you know, not, uh, I was not involved in any kind of like psychedelic stuff for like a number of years, but I noticed as I was kind of away from it, that it was getting more and more mainstream and more and more popular and especially up in the place that I grew up, the San Francisco Bay Area. And this time it was like being driven by all the tech people, which is not really, I mean, now we know it was always there down at, you know, Palo Alto and Stanford and shit, you know, all these uh, like deadhead acid tripping programmers, Bill Gates, you know, Steve Jobs, et cetera. But that was almost more of a quirk back, you know, back then, you know, like in the 2000s or something. And even, you know, there was a time, like, just to tell you, like, where my head was at when I was younger, where, you know, I would kind of think that it was cool that Steve Jobs, like, took acid a bunch of times. And, like, you know, the kind of, like, poptimistic, like, psychedelic stuff of, like, that's how he came up with, like, the personal computer because, like, he took acid. You know what I mean? Like, that that sort of enters into the mythology of uh, Silicon Valley, of the American counterculture, of, like of like the bay area culture in general and like its impact on everything and it was a lot easier to be optimistic about both tech and psychedelics say back in like 2010 or 2011 and now we are living in a very different environment with all of it where 
I think there there has been a psychedelic renaissance. Oh, certainly. Um, but yeah. now, like, but as, like as we're going to get into it, uh, it's not, uh, it's, you know, I was to the <laughs> it's Walter not exactly Manila. what it seems. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's all occultists. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes, but no, yeah. Exactly. Like, and learning about and learning about like the military and the CIA's like very, very, you know, foundational, like important role in all of these, you know, drugs, these uh, pharmaceutical technologies, if you will, and the different ends that they deploy them for so i just want to say you know to conclude my intention it is not to poo poo the idea uh, that these drugs could have certain benefits in fact like subjectively i feel like they do i've found them helpful you know but at the same time if you kind of pay attention long enough you also notice that they're like just like any other kind of drug or habit or thing like that that there can be certain, you know, risk factors or downsides. And it increasingly struck me as very suspicious that in this mainstreaming over the last few years that, uh, like you referred to, like people get very defensive about any criticism of psychedelics at all. Or, I mean, even perhaps more importantly, not the drugs themselves, but how they are used, what context are they being proposed for, like you know like used with a therapist or you go to a quote-unquote ayahuasca church and like you know do a ceremony with a shaman or you order it off the dark web yeah there's all kinds of things popping up now or a maps clinical trial or like a ketamine clinic like there's all kinds of things popping up real or like a retreat in mexico where that melon air like mysteriously died um, at that yeah. <laughs> Ibogaine retreat, remember that? Yeah, like there, there are all kinds of things proliferate, like bubbling up, kind of the surface now. And despite and all these, like apparent, that's the thing, like all these apparent problems, like they're just pushing it, like they will not stop, like no hesitation is allowed, like and if you dare do it, like you're the enemy. Like another big thing that, like mm-hmm. I feel like people, the another big thing that I, I want to emphasize is that we're not trying to poo-poo. Like again, you know, like I'm not against like any like again like uh, even alcohol, which is explicitly mentioned in the Quran as uh, you know not being good. Like in some medicines, like they contain alcohol and like they're they're you know they're useful. You know, you don't want to drink rubbing alcohol to get drunk. That would be very haram. But like you know to like use ethanol for some other purpose, like that's fine. You know, but yes, like this. Uh, so in terms of the medicine, that's that's a, like you know maybe there's some uses of this i'm i you know i can't say i'm not a a psychologist but another thing you know i think is the sort of element of like prohibition being in the the war on drugs right that this is like a factor Mm -hmm. like you know that in saying that in saying like hold on like let's press pause on the whole like psychedelic uh aggressive uh mainstreaming and like commercialization campaign or let's reflect on this uh, you know, like uh, unstoppable, like uh, locomotive force uh, of this uh, happening, mm-hmm. then you're sort of saying like, oh, you want like, you know, a regime of prohibition where like everyone, like, you know, there's great inequalities being perpetuated under this. And like, first of all, <laughs> I mean, I think there's a distinction that can be made between like the psychedelics and uh, other drugs like, like crack uh, cocaine, where there's uh pcp yeah well there's a um i think that the the racial component in psychedelics if there is one as timothy leary himself said in the uh 60s 
the LSD users are mostly, in his words, like bourgeois, like white people. Uh, so it's interesting to see this kind uh -huh. of drug war, like narrative, kind of laundered, like this. You know, the, the, when we see the racial injustice perpetuated uh, under the auspices of the drug war, then you know we obviously are appalled, and we're like, okay, well, this isn't this sort of form of prohibition of this war on drugs isn't working. But it's interesting how the biggest, well, after weed, the biggest, like, you know, push, and maybe it's because of, like, their medical applications that perhaps, but I almost feel like you could probably, if you wanted to, make a case for a medical application of cocaine. I'm sure that there are, I mean, there ha it has historically been well, used in medical Well, cocaine is, context. I think, a schedule two. So it actually does have certain... Um, you know, for like anesthetic, pur you know, for numbing purposes. Yeah, like yeah. I think dentists maybe and like uh, like yeah. that. Uh, yeah. And obviously, like. But I mean, we're almost going into an environment yeah. where like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like if full uh, legalization of drugs ever happens, yeah, like I feel like that's right. going to be the route. It'll all be like startups and things, but. Yeah, but it's interesting yeah. how like uh, I guess I don't know maybe this ties into sort of the. Uh, experience people have with them and the devotion that they feel towards these specific substances because of the profundity of their experiences. Um, but I don't know, like for, for whatever reason, psychedelics seem to be the big, maybe it's because it's racially coded as being white and that it's more acceptable like uh, to people, but it seems like the next big push is this. And if other things come under that, then maybe, but it seems like this is a whole this is a much more like multi-layered thing like this. Like, yeah. I think yeah. that what, well, okay. So there are a few different currents going on right now in terms of, I would say cultural influence efforts mm -hmm. um, and also like business development, like developments in the markets that are, you know, quite literally, you know, commodifying these uh, previously illegal drugs. And also importantly, creating new drugs this has become a biotech you know basically sector yeah is um that certain companies right now there are a couple um that will probably have to crack open at some point like compass pathways yeah, that's, that's, that uh, you know are like Peter listed Thiel's, on nasdaq right? uh, yeah one of several that have uh peter Thiel as an investor and his yeah. sort of allies Mm -hmm. And, you know, they are trying to I mean, they're both I think they they got a little bit of clap back a couple of years ago, including from some people in the psychedelic world for attempting to patent like psilocybin, like yeah. a version of psilocybin, which yeah. led to people. And not only they started a kind of patent frenzy where it went even like beyond the, the drug itself. But yeah, exactly. Like the idea of the being idea like a of like a psilocybin setting. clinic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and taking with like, like an austere white environment, <laughs> yeah, yeah, music, yeah. like all of that was going to be like basically yeah. patented, you know, and and so you can see it kind of starting to get out of control. In the meanwhile, you have, I mean, honestly, a lot of it reminds me just the vibe of it with like when the crypto industry started to really like not exactly go legit, but started attracting more institutional kind of people and like a lot of startup action. You had all these conferences and just the hype around it. It was a similar thing of like you, you had a kind of psychedelic utopian optimism about crypto being like, bro, like once everybody adopts crypto, 
everything will change. And it's like, bro, once everybody takes MDMA and ayahuasca, like everything will change. Yeah. Like it's kind of the same. But in the meantime, we, we're all going to get filthy rich, like, um, you know, generating, turning this into a market, you know, basically. And so the the mood of a lot of these conferences is very, I mean, especially, I don't know, I think maybe there's there's a few bumps in the road and stuff, but it still does seem to be, proceeding you know with a lot of momentum well they perceive like you know you the slightest like interference as like yeah like a huge like you know a bump needs to be over. like we're fighting you know like we're it's kind of like the resistance like patho like pathology where it's like we're the resistance but really like you know everyone is fight like you know the most powerful people are fighting for you at this point like they're not you know yeah i mean in a way it it maybe mirrors the way that a lot of like people in silicon valley acted maybe in the 2000s where there there was this like revenge of the nerds kind of thing where like they were not like the biggest hot shots in terms of like the whole economy and then suddenly they were but like well into the 2010s they all kind of kept this posture up of like man like i'm just a punk rock like i don't know like i'm just yeah. i have like 20 billion dollars but like you know you know like they were really gesturing at like i i really see myself as like a counterculture figure more than a ceo <laughs> it's like yeah. okay they're all going to burn it. and but then you see the the fucking overlaps between that of all of these billionaires of silicon valley going to burning man taking all of these psychedelic drugs and that's I think it's something that I think is still it's gotten some reporting on it that we, we've read quite a bit, I think, about in the last couple of days. But, you know, the the kind of popularity of psychedelics among the elites, among the rich and powerful, which, you know, as, as we've covered in other episodes, is pretty much where it started in terms of, you know, in America and Europe. You know, it was like our Gordon Wasson and Timothy Leary and, you know, that kind of elite trickle down chart that I forget was like the Bureau of Narcotics had that chart that we found once <laughs> that was talking about how it starts with like these kind of like these cultural operative influencer types. And then it goes to like like rich people and then like academics and like artists. And then it like trickles down to like college students. And then it kind of like goes out from there from these nodes. And, you know. Mm -hmm. Timothy Leary was hosting all these like small parties. And then, of course, the Millbrook estate with Billy Mellon and Peggy Hitchcock. They were, you know, hosting people for several years in a huge mansion and then like bankrolling, you know, the production of LSD. And then, you know, so many of like those 1960s people in the Bay Area ended up being so critically influential on the formation of Silicon Valley and Internet culture and really defining like the ontology of like internet culture, like John Perry Barlow and shit, you know, like yes. the Jeffersonian cyber frontier, like all this stuff is so interconnected. Yeah. And the whole idea and then, of a you virtual know, Bitcoin world, you can see is a offshoot of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of a virtual world is always been like a huge preoccupation of like people interested in psychedelics for whatever reason. Like, they've always been, like, consumed by it. I mean, maybe because they felt they entered into a different realm of experience uh, through psychedelics. But, you know, I don't know. You can probably speak this more than me. Like I said, I only had, like, one bad experience with psychedelics, you know. So, uh, obviously, I'm just upset about that. But um, I do have a lot of experience. You know, I was, like, a heavy weed smoker in the past. And something that I feel now not smoking weed at all strongly about weed in retrospect is something that always kept a hook in me in terms of weed 
like and something that made me like grieved when I was quitting was the idea that weed gives me better ideas and that weed makes me more creative like which you know I think parallels I mean there's a lot of crossover with the discourse of uh, either discourse and also the industries as well of uh, you know, commercial weed and commercial psychedelics, right? And also like the discourse of how yeah. weed is talked about, right? Like you know, uh, there definitely there's mm-hmm. a big overlap in these in these worlds, and uh, you know, just generally speaking. But something I feel strongly about weed in retrospect is that it doesn't give you better ideas at all. All it does is make you like your ideas or feel or think of yourself as someone who's having these great ideas through weed. <laughs> And I think, again, or I would say or this. get more excited about your ideas. Yes. And I think, you know, and I and I, you can speak to this more about psychedelics. But in terms of as an outside observer, looking at the people who are heavily like microdosing every single day in Silicon Valley and stuff like that, taking these drugs, I feel th- like they're not becoming enlightened. They're not like becoming better people or different people. They're just becoming more excited about themselves and what they already think and like about the drugs. I think that is absolutely true in like many, many cases. And that that is part of what started to make me more skeptical about the more formalized like psychedelic community or the world, you know, just everything associated with like, you know, people who gather in groups and then people who go to Burning Man, people who visit Peru, like this, this kind of, you know, loose uh, confederated and growing network of people that were you know, into this stuff, I couldn't help but notice after a certain passage of time and also with myself, like it didn't make me a better person uh, necessarily or, and I think it can get a little bit dangerous when your experience on a drug that highly, everyone agrees, highly increases your suggestibility to have it mediated by somebody who's like, defining kind of the set and setting for you that is a powerful role that very easily can be abused yeah and turned in like negative directions and and also doing it like just doing it in a casual way like without any kind of context as well isn't definitely not something that's going to lead to like personal enlightenment you know like i think even the true believers in a lot of the psychedelic stuff usually pair it with some kind of experience that is meant that the psychedelic is almost meant to like aid you on like in doing, you know, in conjunction with either meditation or reflection or something or exposure to stimuli and stuff. But the idea of kind of taking it like Prozac or something on in your day to day life, that's actually that's a pretty new concept. And yeah even in the 60s i mean you had your day trippers and stuff but i mentioned one of our recent episodes or from a few months ago how you know somebody that i know who lives in san francisco was telling me that lawyers are microdosing in san francisco like on a daily basis yeah and, and like pressuring that, their interns or whatever to like microdose uh or their like, yeah you know like like peer pressuring my friend was talking about being peer pressured by you know like partners to be like why aren't you like microdosing man like and i was just like what the fuck like i had heard about people kind of doing that you know on um 
you know, in, te- in, in tech companies, but there's always such like a weird bullshitty, like casual quality to like tech companies. At least that's been my perception that I could like almost kind of see it. And, you know, I think like Elon Musk, like drops acid all the time. Like I, I'm pretty sure all these guys basically are into psychedelics and were into it a lot earlier than like even most people that maybe maybe in the last five or six years, like, you know, got kind of turned on to it. You're something like ayahuasca. Yeah. So. And it kind of, that whole thing kind of gives you a peek behind the curtain of like the whole, and I mean, they admit this. I mean, we, I watched a video of a uh, Hamilton Morris who we've been uh, criticized for uh, uh, <laughs> s- slandering in the, but uh, I, again, everything I've seen just vindicates more and more everything that we, we said initially on, on those, on those impressions. But like, you know, he admitted like, it's not really about, medicalization and i think other people admit the same it's not really about that like that's not really what the point i mean i think that part of it is like to make money and part of it is the ideological thing of like making this a bigger part of society like for to to whatever end like that's just a way to at the tip of the spear you know there's that great quote where the person uh who i think it was like a maps director or something i was talking uh to you about it yesterday where he said something about oh you know well, you know ptsd there's a lot of women who have been raped who you know uh have ptsd and they can be a patients for psychedelic therapies and that's great and people have sympathy for them but you know veterans it's all about veterans like you know we have a national obligation oh, to yeah. help veterans with their ptsd so this whole medical thing like and they ad- like they really admit this like all, like a lot of them on multiple occasions just concede that that's mm-hmm. just that's that's just how to get people on board with it how to help people you know understand like why you know the value of psychedelics is just how to open the door you know get get their foot in the door to say like oh it's helping it is veterans. a very conscious pr yeah it is a pr strategy it's uh yes. tactical media basically yes and yeah it's like very clearly that and and my god maps uh, yeah they are there's so uh, i think probably have to save our deep dive into maps for a later part of this because they're they're the wellspring out of which this new movement really like came out of basically and you know they've been around since the 1980s um and they come from that old venerable institution as we'll see that we love to talk about down in foggy big sur the esalen institute yeah and also like the as you know this shouldn't be too surprising but like what really grinds my gears about the kind of state of a lot of like the optimistic psychedelic kind of discourse today is a sort of people not understanding like where it comes from and yeah uh, i think that's important like the development of a lot of these ideas to begin with people just kind of take them and because you know of the environment and because authority just you know the, the nature to listen michael Pollan is here or like whoever elon is saying like oh, yeah uh, any number joe rogan yeah i mean you could joe find Rogan's examples of it one. all across culture or hamilton morris who i think the coolest uh, guy we, ever we surveyed the coolest guy ever he's like, the coolest guy ever yeah. he's the coolest guy ever and um and really is like you know the millennial generations you know kind of psychedelic shaman chemist uh yeah. in a way and has is probably one of the most visible faces of kind of giving out information and you know creating content and 
you know, sharing like scientific expertise about psychedelics and also somebody who is like deeply involved in the commercialization aspect yes. of the whole thing for which some people have criticized him. And may maybe it's good to bring up, you know, I think a lot of the core of like research and what kind of, you know, piqued our interest like a few months ago was stumbling across this group called Symposia. Yes. Uh, right? Willie K. Ross and her story and like the research mm -hmm. that she did in particular for me. But yeah, also I think she's involved in Symposia. And yeah, they, she is now. Yeah, yeah, she and her boyfriend, uh, who yeah. also produced that uh, for New York Magazine. Yeah. That's like when I um, first yeah, was they like clued into the susness of maps and like all of, like all of the shit. Like obviously, we talked about like sus psychedelics broadly before, but like her narrative mm -hmm. of it, you know, in various outlets, like yeah, it was uh, very interesting because she exposed like a lot of not only like facts that she, but like themes that I think are like really true. For instance, like, as we already mentioned, like the, the sexual element where there's like an exercise of sexual power that's like baked into the culture of like how like psychedelic guides relate to their patients, you know, like that they came up, mm -hmm. like they've generated these norms like around the proclivities of certain people that like aren't yeah and there's a lot to unpack there but yeah uh, anyway uh, as you're saying absolutely yeah yeah, yeah no it, it's a great uh they did uh, she co-produced i think for new york magazine this uh this podcast series called cover story which is you know an audio version of i think the big article that was published um i guess has most of the same information in it but really was like a huge expose like deep dive um, yeah. really honestly, like one of the rare kind of like mainstream, like old school, like big media outlet, like deep dives that I was like, this is pretty good. Like this has, you know, I don't know if you have some critiques of like, uh, a symposia in general, but just to describe like what they are, they're like a nonprofit, right? And they are kind of like a collective of academics that, have like a particular kind of critical perspective on the whole psychedelics movement, right? Yes. I mean, well, what I was saying before about like uh, there being like kind of, I think you were saying like that there's a turf war of sorts between the sort of uh, medicalization or like sort of the commercial and the nonprofit sort of side, the MAPS type people and the people who are like aggressively like for mm -hmm. profit. And I was saying, well, you know, Symposia, I think themselves is like a front in that turf war. What I was getting at was I think that, you know, these people are all like drug nerds themselves. You know, they're all like really into psychedelics and like love them, but they're concerned about the way that psychedelic culture is being mass scale exported to the rest of the population. Like in where a lot of the effects of these drugs and in clinical settings and the way that they're like utilized is uh, not panning out well. And there's a lot of alarming things that have happened around sexual abuse and even around like death and you know not just abuses of like people who are like totally unlicensed but even in like some of these you know formal trials when you know i think one of the points that yeah. stood out to me a lot from their her podcast listening to the whole thing was that this is the time where like there's the most scrutiny and the most care that will ever be applied to this stuff once it's rolled out there'll be less and yet you know, in the clinical trials, these alarm mean. bells. Yeah, exactly. Like in these sort of tests, in this test phase. Yeah, the clinical trials, the sort of, you know, licensing this phase. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I have to say they, they've done a lot of really good work. Like you can go to their website. They have a ton of articles and and they are. I mean, I think it kind of it does lend some credibility to where they're coming from. I think that I think most of them describe themselves as either like former psychonauts or psychedelics enthusiasts or, you know, people that still do it, you know, or kind of engage with it to some degree. But I think most of them, um, I think in the case of Lily, like these are people who went into it and really believed in it for a while and really like drank the proverbial, you know, ayahuasca tea. They drank the ayahuasca Um, tea, yeah. And yeah, they drank the ayahuasca tea. And, And so like, but then they got burned or like something bad happened to them or they observed something that was not handled the way they thought a very enlightened, progressive community of healers uh, would react to something. And so they're coming at it from like both, I think, a personal kind of disappointment and feeling like, wait a minute, this is, we kind of believe to some extent in the promise. That's why maybe, you know, we chose that as our academic, you know, field to study. And then all this sus shit starts happening all around us. And like, I guess, um, I don't know exactly who funds like their, you know, nonprofit, but, but regardless, I feel like they've done uh, overall, like a pretty good job of pointing out the susness and like digging up receipts. They know this world very well. Like they are intimately familiar with, you know, maps and uh, an interesting college, that has somehow evaded us so far, but the California Institute for Integral Studies, which uh, was founded by, among other people, the venerable Alan Watts, right? Right, yes. An amazing, yes, a great psychedelic. And and it's still, like, one of the, I don't know how many there are, but I feel like kind of the leading, like, accredited college, you know, out there Mm -hmm. that basically teaches people these um all kinds of like new agey type stuff um in a kind of you know academic format but according to you know the expose in the cut uh, basically there's like an underground operating at this university in san francisco of psychedelic healing you know and within that underground even though and that underground basically is where the current mainstream corporate uh what they call corporadelic version of like the psychedelic movement uh really sprang out of which is to say maps the california institute for uh, integral studies esalen all these other places it's like the same personalities are like swirling around in all of these institutions and and really like it, it was a discrete group of people that defined these therapeutic practices with these drugs to begin with and a lot of like the research that's been done or funded by maps like that that kind of was the only research for a very long time and sort of everything up until i think even up till now is pretty heavily like rests upon the conclusions of those maps trials and as they say in like the new york magazine podcast like you could find a lot of problems like methodological problems <laughs> in those studies and um, yeah. not like even putting aside the very ethically questionable practices of the therapists, the healers themselves, which ends up becoming like an endless rabbit hole of sleazy guru, like fuckery, yeah. like emotional manipulation, sexual assault and everything going back to the very beginning. So so and like, like not only like to is have. It- 
an exploitation of like the therapy patient relationship. But like I said, it's like baked in, you know, like that's, for instance, like uh, I think, I don't know if I, they might've said on the podcast, like Mother, I, we talked about this before on the show, this video that they released, I think um, from uh, like Megan, I guess, I don't know if Megan's a pseudonym or not, or maybe, no, maybe it is her real name, but there's a video of her like MDMA clinical trial. We talked about this on the show before, but like oh, yeah. the, yeah, yeah, yeah. What they're doing to her is like they're trying like that's supposed to be like part of the therapy. Like part of this is like touching you and like like sex can be part of it. That's the thing. Like touching or like intimacy. Like there's a like a vaguer line, you know, like some of them have tried to enforce that more uh, firmly. Well, it's even weirder. It's even it's even weirder because according to like their sort of publicly stated protocols, that's not something you're supposed to do. Like that does cross the line. But then again and again, like this milieu of like MDMA therapists end up crossing that line. And when you ask them individually, they end up trying to justify it. So it's like, yeah. oh, okay, like maybe, you know, this and is sort of put no out there to like... Yeah, and there's no accountability. It's all about like their healing and like how can we heal like the rapist and like, you know, how can we like how can we protect them basically? And like, oh, mm, it's too you bad called you didn't it find in. that connection. Yeah, right. You call Yeah, that was something that uh, Lily Ross continually said that like people would tell her that she called like herself to be raped because like she was sending out that she was manifesting it but like that's yep. just and one so you it, can that's see... just a more metaphysical like a metaphysical or a theologized form of what they generally do which is like just cover up everything because they have this picture of themselves as being embattled and that like you know everything is gonna you're gonna destroy our psychedelic our beautiful psychedelic utopia and our revolution if you talk about how like everyone's a fucking rapist funny how that works right yeah yeah so i think and i think also like symposia has been i think the funny thing about them i think the first time i became aware of them is i saw on twitter that they had all been like banned from i'm forgetting the name of the psychedelics conference in miami that was i think this was last year where it was it was a very like heady like crypto enthusiastic type event where they had all these startups and stuff and they were a little bit upset at Hamilton Morris who was speaking at it and he made a very dismissive joke like basically like a lol like I'm backed by Peter Thiel kind of thing yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. basically he made Peter some Thiel. very He's dismissive literally my comment. boss uh, I'm employed by him no. uh. like he literally made kind of like a very dismissive joke about these like haters that you know all they say is just you know mumble something ominous about Peter Thiel but like we know that's like bullshit haha and and I think they were especially calling him out because you know he's like saying this room to like a sympathetic audience and all of the critics of him you know, like the symposia people were banned from attending because they yeah. have launched like these attacks. And they, they've also dug up a lot of economic, you know, financial receipts about these companies. And I got to say, like, once you start digging deeper into like the financial backers and the interlocks of a lot of these psychedelic companies, I don't know if you saw that they have a list of the amount of psychedelic startups that are basically like in terms of the corporate, you know, entity are like the reverse buyout husks of often like Canadian or African mining companies. 
Yeah. <laughs> like there's something yeah, really sus familiar. going on. I don't know what the fuck it is. No, it's like, but it's like the list has like 50 startups that are like, what the fuck is going? It's like these weird little companies. I guess the, their explanation for that is that a lot of these, uh, you know, Canadian companies or companies in like West Africa. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if they have any in, in Liberia, honestly, but like they, uh, you know, when a lot of the times like they'll open up a mining site and like it kind of doesn't pay off or like commodity prices will go haywire. And so these companies go bust and then they're like a corpse that you can somebody can just go and like buy up mm-hmm. and then like rename the company like Better Mind Health Therapy or whatever the yeah. fuck. And then, yeah. and then, and also, like it, it, it basically evades scrutiny, a lot of regulatory scrutiny by doing that. Like, I guess it, you can skip a lot of steps. It's like a kind of a shell company move to do that. Mm-hmm. So, like that's, and then of course, you know, the two, a couple of the biggest players in the game. We've already said it, but Peter Thiel is involved in several of these companies. Um, another one is uh, Rebecca Mercer of the Mercer family. Also, as I heard on a Marianne Williamson podcast with uh, <laughs> with Rick Doblin, the founder of Maps, um, she mentioned quite like you know in a complimentary way that like you guys are like you know you've been out there like in the counterculture, but like now you have surprising backers like the daughter of a Koch brother and uh, Rebecca Mercer, and like wow, like that's amazing, like. You know, she was saying it in like a, isn't that impressive that you've been yeah, able to like typical. transcend the partisan divide and, you know, must be all that ecstasy, <laughs> you know, must be all that MDMA you're taking that just allows you to reach across the aisle to fucking Steve Bannon. I'm not exaggerating. And people yeah. like that and actually court elements <laughs> of like the alt right, which, you know, even pissed off some of their like long time sort of like crunchy granola supporters in like California. Like, what the fuck yeah. are you doing? But, you know, they've made alliances on both sides of the aisle no, in their I mean, pursuit the of getting quite... more tests. That was that was what Hamilton was making his pissy comment about where he was like, oh, uh, oh, it's so horrible. Oh, can you imagine? Uh, uh. But it is true that like in the past. LSD and psychedelics were associated with like uh, counterculture, right? And certainly like uh, left wing coded. Not really the case anymore, right? Something that, you know, people have pointed out that I think he was sort of uh, verbally subtweeting in his sort of conference speech where he, you know, kind of uh, referred to all the people who were banned. It's, yeah, in fact, I would almost say that I would almost say that it seems like the major sort of proselytizers these days are not with the except well i guess you know insofar as uh hamilton is uh is hamilton considered to be like left wing i don't know i mean he works oh, for my, Peter dude, my dude my dude uh my dude he's a maoist he's a maoist he's like a dirtbag he's a dirtbag leftist yeah he is an acid stalinist yeah, yeah exactly right. um uh you know oh, he worked for vice my dude yeah, um he's so, a nepo baby i don't know like take your pick like uh, he's, I, I, actually i don't know what his fucking politics are it's kind of like oh, actually sketch like well i'm sorry i'm not gonna go off on a whole hamilton thing yet then it doesn't really, you, uh-huh. you know, the best thing to do is not to the have any politics. Everyone can u- make use of these. Whether it's, everyone can make use of this information, you know, whether it's the DEA or the rogue chemists, you know, like they all need the information. You can, you can, uh, it doesn't matter who's paying you, you know, just uh, the work is what's Yeah, important. that's actually, I mean, symposia, I think they, they had 
like a Zoom thing where they were playing clips from this conference and like Hamilton Morris talking shit about them. And I think they dug up like an old clip of Hamilton Morris on Joe Rogan just like saying that like really all he wanted to do was just like make a shitload of money and like fill like a kiddie pool full of money and like roll around in it like Scrooge McDuck or something. That's (laughs) funny. LOL, you know, but I'm sure he's a good dude. He's, he's a good dad. He's a good dude. Um, but yeah, that, that was kind of like, they were juxtaposing solid, that kind of LOL, I only care about money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah the, you know, he was it, it, like juxtaposing him kind of laughing off any criticism, you know, uh, of this being a sort of nefarious, you know, hyper-capitalist, like uh, poisoning of the well, so to speak, with psychedelics. And then him just like blase joking with Joe Rogan about how he just wants to get like rich as fuck and like make a, make a bunch of money yeah. like with patented psychedelics like he doesn't care you know basically so uh, yeah. he does not have like he he doesn't really have like the old like some of the hippies like maybe it's performative but I feel like a Rick Doblin for example might do some kind of hand wringing about well no we want these to be available to everybody and you know things of that nature like every veteran should be you know like veterans yeah first. exactly like, they you know everybody the should have the oh god <laughs> yeah but like these these biotech uh psychedelic startups are like by the not way, even oh i was just noticing like they want to patent this shit and privatize it and make money off of it they don't want to give it to everybody and like hamilton's like pretty much on their team you know yes, effectively and saying that you're a loser yeah, you're like a yeah. loser if you point out that that's like kind of sus or like whack or, you know, kind of, dude, you're co-signing something that's yes, uh, like could have a lot of negative consequences. And you're like the you do know a lot about he does know a lot about about, you know, drugs. Oh, and he certainly and does. Um, yeah, I will not take that away from <laughs> but, him. He is an expert. He knows far more than I do or could ever hope to probably. Uh, yeah, certainly could ever hope to because I wouldn't like take rat poison or whatever to like find out what it's like. So yeah uh more than yeah. i could ever hope yeah. to know but you know i did notice yeah you you shared an interview with him where he was sort of talking about uh you labeled it that he was clapping back at the haters um not sure it was at a uh, south by southwest that he was speaking but yeah, just about know, a week ago yeah but i uh i watched that and i found it to be interesting where he was kind of responding to what i think is like again this is sort of this internecine fight over like oh the commodification like you know I think that if this is going to happen, which it seems like it is, like, yeah, I think it's good that, like, circumspect people should be controlling it and not the people who are currently, like, leading it. But it is interesting that, like, he was kind of, you know, fighting this discursive fight. And he said something about, like, you know, because people feel that the commodification is going to take away the sacredness. And this, I think, is, like, quintessential to, like, the, the nature of this, which is that... He, you know, people are concerned that, oh, if you commodify something, that'll take away its sacredness. And this is just like like chef's kiss almost because he said something like, well, no, you know, when Johnson & Johnson approved ketamine, they actually approved the more dissociative version, the more psychedelic version. <laughs> so it's amazing because like I'm one heavily saying like, no, you know, these big corporations, big pharma, they're the great custodians of the psychedelic experience. And also like it's amazing because it's like, boiling this whole like mysticism down like it's like you know i think that the whole idea that like you're actually having a spiritual experience and that like god subhanallah can be invoked through drugs is like you know but especially uh, ketamine but no no totally totally it kind of gives the game away 
Yeah, like I mean, yeah, he's saying that because he the attack that he's critiquing, ma- ma- like the actually the that, way that it's used in like you know uh, Mesoamerican culture is like it almost makes because it's used in a magical way traditionally speaking. But anyway, I deg- my point is that like yeah, he's basically saying that like you know the people not, like who he's responding to actually kind of have a sense like oh you know capitalism is uh, like de- like deadly to spirituality you know and he's like no because spirituality is all about like the components of the drug <laughs> like spe- oh, the only thing that matters for spirituality is how dissociative the ketamine is <laughs> which like you know no, exactly i he, get he where the wires getting strange... crossed there because they're both kind of wrong but like it's still very illustrative <laughs> yeah. well it, it, it's a very like strange perspective and i think a lot of it is borrowed from his hero uh alexander yes. shogun but oh, it very yeah the, much is. i guess he yeah. you know he's He's clapping back at like this, yeah, this argument that by turning it into a commodity and making it legal and selling it in the way that like has sort of happened to weed, that it's somehow going to corrupt like the spiritual power. But yeah, then he says, no, don't worry about it because it's like they sell S-ketamine, which is stronger than R-ketamine, which is more dissociative, therefore more spiritual. It's just like, how do you go from it's more dissociative to like, Therefore, it's more spiritual. It's like, what are you worried about? Stop yeah. gaslighting us, Hamilton. You know, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, and also, like, ignoring the broader context of saying, like, you're going to rob, like, a mystical experience. Like, on the one hand, there's, like, the kind of the pharmacological, like, chemistry side of that, where, like, there, some of these, like, teal companies, I think, are trying to you know almost like make a perfect kind of therapeutic acid that like yeah exactly where there's th- not they said in really that that lasts longer or something yeah 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 like it reduces uh, the visual uh halluc- and auditory hallucinations it is it has a shorter duration than lsd but a longer one than dmt so maybe like you know two or three hours or something like that and then you can like use it specifically in a clinical setting i mean i see how people that like you know, LSD the way it is perfect would be like, well, hold on uh, a second. Perfect yeah, for micro, yeah, microdosing, like all day. this kind of stuff. But also, yeah. you know, just the vibe, like the vibe of, you know, uh, I don't know, like engaging with a, a substance when it's being like neoliberalized and like packaged to you as like this like techno solution. I think some people maybe like the sort of the mystery and the like the sort of unknown kind of, you know, uh, kind of ritual experience of like doing mushrooms or like LSD or something like that. And they want to be given, they don't want to take, you know, they don't want to take acid that is like mild enough that you can still go to Pilates or something and like, you know, drive a car, <laughs> like, you know, or like yes. that you're only supposed to do with a therapist. Like some people want to take it and have a fun, crazy experience or they want to go to a, a dead show or, you know, they want to do it with their friends or they want to walk in the forest. Like, and, and I'm actually like kind of sympathetic in the, in the sense, like, it, it, no, you know, just like kind I of said, like a specific that, sense to that. Yeah. There's a truth to their, like, but Hamilton's confusing things. Definitely. And, but also, yeah, Hamilton's not noticing how like, yeah, like the neoliberalization and rolling this out specifically. I mean, I guess he says he also is critical in that talk of the medical framework in a way that was a little bit yes. interesting Which where he amazing. basically said yeah, that that's one of those times where you just like they just admit that they lie and like are shifty you know which is great yeah exactly uh sorry yeah continue what 
Uh, yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, he was saying that basically that, that he thought it was maybe a mistake to like overemphasize like the efficacy of like these trial results, which has kind of been what like everybody's been betting on, you know, to get FDA mm-hmm. approval like for years now. And he's kind of like, yeah, like, well, it's like if the, if the data well, from the, the trials, trials like didn't suck, go super well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Because they didn't go well. Like, I, I really don't think we should focus on it that much because honestly, like yeah. the, at the end of the day, we should be making all these drugs legal for fun purposes and Yay! not just for, you know, yeah, yeah, which is like a, a real crowd pleaser. And again, I mean, to a certain degree, I kind of get where he's coming from in that I think it is a little bit whack to be like, like MDMA. Like it, like MDMA, you know, basically played like a foundational role in building what we call rave culture and entire like genres of music and dancing and aesthetics and like communities, you know, stuff. We'll probably maybe we'll touch on like rave stuff later because it's not totally not like unconnected to all of this. But but to say that MDMA is legal now, but you have to do it in a doctor's office where you have to talk about your trauma. It's kind of like. Yeah. Yeah, but like uh, I think maybe if there is something good about ecstasy, maybe it is like going to like a rave and like vibing on some techno music yes. and like hugging lots I mean, of you I know will like, say, like like just being nice to everybody and feeling like you're having like I, I think there's people that go to raves that like you know they get a kind of spiritual thing out of it and I and it's almost I I feel like that's almost like safer than like going to like some sus guru who's like all right like let me frame it for and you it, or going to a sus Peter Thiel company that's like here try this optimized you know what I mean like like it's almost I not think, to say that uh that I these counterculture that actually, things like, didn't have their downsides the truth is that those two things aren't as different as they seem like I do think that there are a lot of like sus like on it like. You know, I've, like, known people who have gotten, like, deep into psychedelics, like, as well. And there's always, like, some fucking weird guy who's, like, the gatekeeper of it and, like, is just inappropriate (laughs) and weird. And that's, like, you know what I mean? And that's, like, part of it, you know? And I think that the thing is that the people now who are, like, dressing up all nice, they're the same at heart. Like, they come from the same world, you know? Like... And I'm not saying that, like, you know, uh, a new generation of, like, big pharma-trained, like, you know, psychedelic therapists are going to be better than, like, this sort of uh, culture that has developed, like, underground or whatever. But I think that, yeah, like, it's fucking... It's sus, like, no matter what. And, like, they're not... Like, the the difference is in many ways, like, a Trojan horse or, like, an illusion. And, like, the main goal does not have to do... Like, that's not what... That's not what any of the evangelists are concerned with, you know, like it's interesting how maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not. I mean, I guess Gabor Mate, who we mentioned before, he's someone who I guess has experienced trauma and became like a ayahuasca evangelist. But I do notice that the people who are the big he's pushers a maps of, advisor, but I mean, of course. Yeah. But I do notice I feel like the people who are the biggest and most visible pushers of uh, psychedelics, maybe, you know, and I might be wrong about this, but this is what I feel to be the case. And people can, you know. If I'm wrong, then I am. But maybe I'm right in my impression that the people who are the biggest pushers aren't people who have like experienced trauma and be cured of their trauma. They're just people who like to do psychedelics for fun, like Hamilton. Well, am I right? I well, I don't know uh, from surveying social media because now there's like there's all these like in like TikTok influencers and people on Instagram. I think I sent you one guy who I don't know if I sent you the video, but you know it was like three years ago i had everything that like a man in the west would have wanted like a kick-ass like six-figure job <laughs> and you know 
like a cool apartment yeah. in the city and then, like a cool car. The you know, blah blah blah, blah. like a typical realized, thing. But yeah. like, I was empty inside, and blah blah yeah. blah. And then I tried ayahuasca, and then he's like, he's got like tribal tattoos over him. He's like living in like Guatemala, like okay, you know, he's got like dreads I get, now. I get that, like, it's like that, that type of person. Is that medical? That's not medical to me. Maybe well, that's depression. It, it both or something. isn't it. It both is and isn't because right. he calls it medicine. People like that right. call it yeah, medicine. Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, I'm no, they do. Hairs, you know, no, no, but I mean, I. Yeah. But I, I should, I should disambiguate. They call it medicine in a less strict. They don't exactly mean in the same no, way that yeah, say right. a Peter medicine. Thiel company yeah. is calling it medicine. They're not trying to get FDA approval. It's like, yeah, typical. Um, new age version of medicine it is the spirit yeah. medicine kind of thing but like they but it, it is this idea of like i'm kind of wounded and like i need to heal with this stuff i think that is a little bit different than how hamilton goes through life taking drugs where he kind of has this like mad scientist like gonzo like william s burroughs sort of yeah, I mean, like, obviously there's a psychonaut adventurer kind of thing, um, and but also like downplays, like he really downplays kind of the mist, the quote unquote mystical stuff about it by always just talking about like the chemistry and this very like kind of narrow, like hyper non judgmental, like he will never say a drug's bad. Like he'll never say like oh that that's a shitty drug like you shouldn't do that he, he like always has to throw in like well you know I mean I'm not necessarily saying you should do it but like you know like injecting PCP like uh you know actually like it stimulates like the neurotransmitter like you know and just starts giving some like weird you know yes, reason why right and I, but um yeah. but so I there people are kind of coming at it in terms of being pro psychedelics like people are coming at it from like a few different angles at once it seems because then then there's another more like old school group that is all about they're maybe the most kind of anti all this new stuff because they insist that like it should be treated like a mystical experience and to like commodify it to try to sort of like pin it down in this very instrumental way and strip it from any kind of ritual context is going to have like negative uh basically yeah you know negative more negative impacts than if you just let the people kind of like do their thing like have their weird fun with it and kind of do their thing and like don't maybe decriminalize it but like don't hyper commodify it and shit um, my point is so, more that like the big people like michael Pollan, you know like all the, yeah and there is a difference like but to me that almost is still the same thing as like i took psychedelics and i realized how empty i was or like you know so i feel like there is you know I, I don't know, like the the that's like sort of value in treating these things like that is the sort of main thing. Like that's the main argument that you can make for making it legal. And I will say, like, you know, I like am not opposed to legalizing it. Like I do, you know, obviously I don't think that like taking like drugs is good. Like I obviously I think that the best thing to do is like not take them. Like, but I do feel that that type of pro like you know the the sharia you know not taking the the prohibitions and the, and the sharia those aren't supposed to come from like police you know they're not they're not something that you can impose on people you know they're supposed to come from you're kind of like you're doing a law's job like you're kind of getting in the way and like doing a law's job if you're trying to run around and like yeah exactly like and users. it's point like if like if people don't 
want to relinquish those drugs or like believe in their like harmfulness or like that or they yeah, they don't want to give them up because they've been uh, forbidden by a law like then something's missing anyway if you're forcing people to do something that they aren't willing to do you know like out of their own belief and their own volition like and their love of a law and like you know, wanting to obey his commandments then like you know you can't make up for that with brute force you know i do think that that's I guess true. you're right i mean yeah. i guess opium is the opium of the masses um <laughs> in a certain kind of way you know i mean opium is the original opium of the masses you know yes. it's like the side the oppressed creature um is like sinking into you know alcoholism or you know uh some kind of you know self-destructive drug abuse uh which definitely is like an epidemic in our society so i'm very sympathetic to people that want to find kind of a way uh out of that like if you know taking mushrooms can get somebody to, like stop you know drinking themselves to death that's, that's the a good ultimate thing. thing of like they suppress uh, our medicine so like we buy their cures like situation <laughs> like they literally like these sacklers like got everyone addicted on oxycontin and now we're gonna have psychedelic yeah. therapies to like cure everybody of this and you know that's the thing like no for real it's like you uh, get them coming and going yeah it's kind of like all right but i mean but i do think like you know i'm not like i don't believe in that kind of uh i think that's what really the great fallacy of like islamism like that kind of like you know prohibition by the state where there isn't the uh what actually causes the the sharia to be lived like the the actual like you know people and the practices that bring it about but that's uh, orthogonal to the point. The point is that I actually did kind of appreciate, speaking of, like, you know, just going into this source, I guess we're kind of getting into some of the things that we viewed, but, uh, you know, that's fine. But, like, uh, just talking about this video, I did appreciate at one point, you know, Hamilton's kind of equivocation between, like, these drugs, because not only did he argue against the sort of medicalization aspect of it or the emphasis on on the the medicalization he also was kind of uh, arguing against the i think he called it like psychedelic exceptionalism where they're treated as like you know these very special drugs that are different from other drugs like cocaine and he made an interesting point but i not in the way that i think it's interesting that he sort of uh suggested but he said something like oh you know psychedelics people will he was sort of uh, describing this uh, narrative of psychedelic exceptionalism and saying that people will say, oh, psychedelics create these sort of new, uh, I, I honestly forget the neurological term or uh, whatever. It's like a dendrites or something. You know, they create new pathways in okay. the brain or something. And he's like, well, you know, cocaine, that does the same thing. But that's why cocaine is addictive. And I was like, all right, like, you know, Hamilton, I know like you were trying to make a point, which is just like cocaine is also good, but... You know, to me, <laughs> I find that comparison to be sort of interesting or like that point to be kind of uh, interesting in a way because I have sort of noticed and maybe this is a way to get into some of this other stuff. But like and I mean, I think we've kind of opened up in the past episodes this uh, subject of like, you know, what addiction is. And I guess, you know, if you were Gabor Mata, you would say that addiction actually comes from trauma and like doesn't have any sort of uh, physiological basis anyway and it's just sort of uh, something that can actually be cured by ayahuasca i don't know but to me it almost seems like there is something addictive about these i mean absolutely i think in the in the new york magazine podcast i think a recurring theme with a lot of these people that ended up having very bad abusive experiences i i was even surprised actually at how a lot of the uh, test subjects in like the PTSD MDMA trials 
I think this is partially due to like the therapeutic techniques they were using in the trial felt uh, they felt like there was uh I think one girl said like quote no fucking aftercare and they all felt yeah. like cut off I think somebody one woman said that she felt like she was having like open heart surgery done and then like all the surgeons just like left the room with her chest open and stuff cuz i mean these are people with severe kind of ptsd and like issues and stuff and the way that they were kind of dropped now i don't think that means that cuz they weren't doing enough ecstasy anyways to really like develop uh, i mean ecstasy is not that chemically addicting but these drugs like ecstasy and lsd psilocybin etc um, I think can absolutely become psychologically addictive. Yes. Like a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and especially if you're doing it within this like very intense, like therapeutic, like unpacking your trauma kind of contact in a way it's like a, it feels intuitively to me riskier than taking MDMA with your friends and like going to like a rave. You know what I mean? Because like in that, like you're having fun on a substance, but in this it's has this, this weighty expectation and you're like, you're, you know, you're poking at people's triggers and you're trying to, yeah. Uh, common theme throughout all this, like break somebody down and build them back right. up or like cure their trauma in like one kind of in, uh, not always in one session, but in a very, short amount of time i think one of the common cliches that i definitely saw pop up in like one or two of the sources was i think it was in the podcast where something a lot of shaman will say is like it's like doing a year of therapy in like 10 yeah exactly like 20 like years of therapy that's kind of the expectation yeah exactly right yeah that's the expectation that gets set in these therapeutic settings so i could understand how in a way it's almost like like emotionally or psychologically addictive in a sense that i mean it is kind of harmful like if you're just pulled out of it without kind of a you know or to use like a magic metaphor it's almost like you know drawing a magic circle and then like not closing the circle before you finish the ritual yes not saying goodbye you know, which is actually interesting to think about, about aftercare yeah <laughs> but but yeah i mean i think there, there's ways that, and i think those types of things are often like very under examined or they're like brushed aside because like we just have to get it legalized it's going to do so much good for the world that we can't waste time you know you're going to bring back the drug war single-handedly if you talk about you know any of the dark sides of this shit or the potential for abuse and and like emotional like heavy emotional manipulation maybe not always to the extent of what we would call like brainwashing but it does ha it shares a certain similarity with brainwashing yes. some of these oh these therapeutic techniques that people associated with maps were using in these studies like like you said like the fondling the hugging like the all the touching kind of stuff like even things that their own manual said to not do there was like a lot of heavy hitters in maps that you know at various points like over the last 30 40 years have all been caught doing horrible things yes and then in most cases they don't really get kicked out of maps um it's almost like they're you know something else that maps could you know mean there's this amazing <laughs> like, interview it's a weird there's this amazing but... interview and i want to talk like you know uh, on the addiction point like the fact that i want to talk about like uh some like the fact that people like will continually like, go back and continue to do these ayahuasca things i was like wait a minute i thought this was 20 years of therapy you know, like after a certain point, you're doing more than your lifetime in therapy. Like, do you really need this healing anymore? Like, 
That's when you start believing here? in past life, you know. Yeah. Regression. Oh, yeah. That's when you get right. Your right. Oh, record, and you start me. saying yeah. that. Mm-hmm. No, people have told me that before. Like, you uh, know, yes, my past life. I was, uh-huh. You know, I mean, I, I mean, in the like, like it does start to expand into those uh, at least certain currents, like the ayahuasca thing. It will start to kind of broaden if you keep, you know, yeah. sticking with it in the work for a long time. Then, you know, it's like you will encounter some like weird kind of like UFO type stuff. Some oh, absolutely. Weird, you know, secret wisdom but, of the ascended masters. Yeah, like, but I'm just saying like, is that just a fancy version of like, oh, you know, this is my last, you know, gram of weed or whatever. You know, this is my last, like, you know, once I'm done smoking, like I'm just going to buy one more eighth or whatever. And then after that, no more. Like, but I have this this week. I think it's different you know? than it, it's di- it's a different phenomenon. It has more in common with somebody maybe joining like a new religious movement or a high control group kind of thing. Or yes, you but know, the, it, like they become spiritually like dependent, course, like and yes. like emotionally and spiritually kind of dependent on this thing, and they keep kind of chasing the dragon. Um, I think not everybody, but like some people, I think if they you know decide to just return back to the well again and again and again like you do eventually you're going to get kind of burned out and then you're you're increasingly just you know like they used to say like you're you're so open-minded your brain just falls out you know yeah (laughs) i mean no i definitely um, i don't want to minimize you're kind of open and suggestible to anything and uh, but i i I don't don't know if we have a good word for it aspect of it as well but i yeah i just feel like that there is it does seem to be some kind of uh like dependency and like attachment to this process like it's not something where it's like oh you know i it's not the type of medicine where you get cured. It seems like it's a type of medicine that you continually take, you know, the way that yes. it's become. I and think that, that's the, something. Yeah. Uh, that's I think something that like, some of the critics have brought up about maps is that, or the, the, this move towards the market is that like, you know, basically they're and even the whole therapeutic paradigm is that they're kind of, you know, they want to kind of like put psychedelics into this box that it becomes something that you take for the rest of your life. When even, the the real Esalen heads were actually giving it out much more sparingly, like, and they would use it for like a period of time. Like, it's like this idea that maybe you should take Not psychedelics in perpetuity. Not only the rest of your life, like every single forever, day at your is job, kind of newer as part of your product. Oh yeah, that's very like new. Work. Yeah, that, that, like, I think that's that. Like, if it, with the exception of maybe the Grateful Dead, who might have been on acid every day for periods of time, like in terms of, and also like serious like medical people or you know, these kind of like Silicon Valley guys being like, yeah, this is like totally a way to optimize yourself, you know, and and like presenting it as um, not as a way to go like full yogi, like mystic and totally just trip out forever, but like to like turbocharge your performance at work, you know, and it's like, wait, what? That's very new, I think. Like I, it's only been, you know, it's been I definitely less than a decade where I've started to hear about you know, micro dosing in that kind of way, uh, which, you know, psychedelics were always considered to be like, you know, whatever you thought, love them or hate them, they're powerful. And like, they should be done in specific situations, not something you just do like while you're at work or, you know, casually. And now that seems to be uh, shifting in a big way. Yeah. And I think I am one of the most pretty fair to critique. Yeah. When, Doctor, did you first start experimenting with LSD? Uh, six years ago. And that was 
during the time that you were on the faculty? I was uh, teaching psychology at Harvard. I've been a psychologist for 15 years. Right. And I come to the sorry conclusion that um, psychology wasn't doing much to solve the uh, emotional or the mental problems of the human um, race, and particularly the American people. So I went to Mexico, and a friend of mine who was an anthropologist uh, told me about uh, a method which had been used by the Indians in Mexico, the medicine and the priests, uh, before the white man came. They used mushrooms, they called sacred mushrooms. And he told me that uh, they grew, they still grow in the uh, mountains near Mexico City. So one afternoon, a sunny Saturday afternoon, six years ago, he brought over a bag of these mushrooms, and I ate seven of them. I learned more about psychology, about the human mind, about the human situation in five hours after eating these mushrooms than I had. They had a five-hour effect. Five-hour effect, yeah. What I is the more uh, in those five hours than I had learned studying, uh, doing research in psychology and treating people as a psychotherapy. May I first ask you that, yes, your title, doctor? My title? A, a medical doctor? No, I'm a uh, psychologist. Psychologist. Psychologist, right. It's estimated by the Federal Food and Drug Administration that perhaps 15 or 20 percent of our young people today are exploring their consciousness, trying to find out more about their mind using these chemicals. Uh, aren't the majority of them doing it for kicks? I don't think so. I've been on many television programs uh, where middle-aged people sit around and shake their head and worry about the young people having kicks. And first of all, what is a kick? It is true that LSD provides an ecstatic experience. It gives you incredibly pleasant experience. But this pleasure is not the pleasure that you get from a bottle of beer, or that you get from watching even a good television show. The pleasure you get from uh, LSD is being tuned in, turned on to your own nervous system, turned on to uh, your own body, turned on to the incredible wisdom which lies inside every cell in your body. It's the, ex the ecstasy that a scientist gets when he suddenly has something open up to him. There are cautions with it, aren't there, Doctor? That, it, that uh, a, a young person cannot go out and take LSD. We, we read in papers of cases, recently a boy on the Lower East Side here thought he suddenly could fly and attempted to jump out the window. It doesn't work. It doesn't have the same effect on every human being. Oh, absolutely. Uh, when you take LSD or a psych uh, psychedelic drug, it's like putting a microscope on your eyes that stays there for eight hours. Now, for the first half hour, you have these microscopes on, and it's wonder, it's revelation, it's a deep religious experience. You realize that there's more uh, beauty and more meaning and there's this intelligent plan inside your brain. It's delightful. But then after about an hour or two or three, and they say, well, now this has been interesting, but I'd like to take, I'd like to go back to uh, mother's apple pie, to uh, automobiles and so forth, but you can't. See, the LSD experience lasts about eight hours. Now, it's true that the unprepared person gets frightened when he takes LSD, but uh, this is a new form of energy. I'm in the unfortunate position of being about 20 years ahead of my time. Now, whenever you're 20 years ahead of your time, you're in a risky position because it always takes one generation for uh, a new form of energy to be accepted. You know, when the airplane came along uh, 20, 30 years ago, the older generation to a man said, They'll never get me up there. I don't want to get high. Uh, the next generation, everyone's flying around in airplanes. The same thing is true with these new psychedelic drugs. And I'll say to your uh, viewers, uh, within 10 or 15 years, psychochemicals which expand consciousness and accelerate the mind and open up uh, the wisdom that's inside, the 
be just as common as books are today. When your kid comes home from school, you won't say to him, what book did you read today? Uh, you'll say, uh, which molecule did you use to open up which Smithsonian Institute or which uh, Library of Congress uh, exists inside your own mind? I know that sounds far out, but everything, every new uh, advance in science just seems impossible. How can we use drugs to uh, open up your mind as an educational tool? How many times have you taken LSD? I've taken LSD uh, 311 times. We'll be right back. One of the most interesting things about that to me is like actually this sort of like neo-colonial component, like with the sort of commercialization of like these ayahuasca trips to South America, which I feel like it's interesting to talk about in connection with Lily Ross's story, but I've just, I've been like this Leary interview after reading it this morning has like lingered with me all day. And I feel like it like epitomizes so much because it talks about like, it has even sort of like the, the foreshadowings of like the whole like medical discourse and also like this like weird sexual component that comes in. Like he, you know, it's a playboy interview. So obviously the sexual element looms large but i think it exposes a lot like how prominent it is and i think you know you can attest and maybe others uh, who are familiar with this type of material can you know even in shulgin like the sex aspect so prominent which you don't necessarily i mean i didn't necessarily really think about you know the i mean as leary even says he says the sexual impact is of course the open but private secret about lsd which none of us has talked about in the last few years it's socially dangerous enough to say that LSD helps you to find divinity and helps you discover yourself. That's kind of like how I always think of like the pitch for LSD being. You're already in trouble when you say that. But then if you announce that the psychedelic experience is basically a sexual experience, you're asking to bring the whole middle-aged, middle-class monolith down on your head. At the present time, however, I'm an under thirty I'm under a thirty year sentence of imprisonment, which for a forty five year old man is essentially a life term, and in addition I am under an indictment in a second marijuana offense involving a sixteen year sentence. So, you know, he doesn't mind uh talking about how LSD is not an automatic trigger to a sexual awakening. The first ten times you take it, you might not be able to have a sexual experience at all, but eventually you get to a place where a woman can have several hundred orgasms in a LSD session. And um, he goes on to say that, um, (laughs) yes, very cool. Like the coolest. Um, Yes. And he goes on to say that uh, the, uh, you know, like Playboy is asking about how into him women's are, blah, 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 blah. It's uh, he says something along the lines of like, it's, very uh it's inevitable that a woman will fall in love with the man who shares her lsd experience so that's why we need to have like uh Mm. you know people's wives around uh when they're doing this right he says i've had more than one long-term relationship during the last six years but there's a certain kind of neurological and cellular fidelity that develops with his wife he says so he cheats on his wife but he doesn't have uh LSD experience with other people, I guess, because he has neurological fidelity with her. I have said for many years now that in the future, the grounds for divorce would not be that your wife went to bed with another man and bounced around on a mattress for an hour or two, but that your wife had an LSD session with somebody else because the bonds and the connections that develop are so powerful. So, you know, then she talks about how uh, a charismatic public figure does generate attraction and stimulate a sexual response, you know, on his tours and everything. 
mm-hmm. you know, just talking about like how this is really for him fundamentally sexual. Uh, every woman has built into her cells and tissues a longing for a hero sage mythic male to open up and share her own divinity. But casual sexual encounters do not satisfy this deep longing. Any charismatic person who is conscious of his own mythic potency awakens this basic hunger in women and pays reverence to it at the level that is harmonious and appropriate to the time. Compulsive body grabbing, however, is rarely the vehicle of such communication. Uh, well, some of the people who work for maps might disagree, but, uh, you know, the, yeah, the, yeah. the point is Definitely. there. Then, you know, the last thing that I want to quote from him is he said something uh, very interesting that stuck with me uh, and I thought resonated very interestingly in the current context, especially with as we were talking about the sort of crossover appeal of LSD outside of the countercultural context, the sort of uh, left inflected countercultural complex. So mm-hmm. Playboy asked him. According to some reports, LSD can trigger acting out of latent homosexual impulses in ostensibly heterosexual men and women. So, you know, does it make the frogs gay, etc. Is there any truth to that in your opinion? And Leary says, on the contrary, the fact is that LSD is a specific cure for homosexuality. It's well known that most sexual perversions are the result of not of biological binds, but of freaky, dislocating childhood experiences of one kind or another. Consequently, it's not surprising that we've had many cases of long-term homosexuals who, under LSD, discover that they are not only genitally, but genetically male, that they are basically attracted to females. The most famous and public of such cases is that of Allen Ginsberg who has openly stated that the first time he was turned on to women was during an LSD session several years ago. But this is only one of many such cases. I mean, um, honestly, his, yeah, like I want to unpack I, this. I but think his, maybe his attraction, maybe yeah. his attraction changed, but not, I don't think towards women. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. But I think that his description of what happened to a lesbian is also like worth reading, although I do definitely want to unpack this. Uh, I was just going to cite such a case. You know, Playboy asks, what happened with lesbians? I was just going to cite such a case. An extremely attractive girl came down to our training center in Mexico. She was a lesbian, and she was very active sexually, but all her energy was devoted to making it with girls. She was at an LSD session at one of our cottages and went down to the beach and saw this young man in a bathing suit and flash. For the first time in her life, the cellular electricity was flowing in her body, and it bridged the gap. Her subsequent sexual choices were almost exclusively members of the opposite sex. Wow, amazing. It is true. Yeah. <laughs> like, I well, mean, like, at the like, time... I mean, that goes to show you, goes to show you how, like, the person, you know, who appoints themselves as a guru, as a mediator of these psychedelic experiences, just might be a creature of their era, right? Creature of their era and also like you know, of their like of their impulses of their nafs of their uh, you know of their like uh, like uh, concupiscence like he's like a yeah he's like a horn Leary dog had many like of horny those. little slime toad and in addition to that he was a hugely horny man yes I find it very striking for one like I think that in the current political context you can like this really resonates but you know with this sort of culture war discourse going around. But before even getting into that, it's amazing how the like medicalization stuff is like here being deployed in a context that's totally different from like what we would imagine it like it's still the same narrative of like, oh, this can cure trauma. But in this case, like the trauma Mm -hmm. is making like, you know, now something that is not generally viewed to be caused by by trauma, although 
that debate seems to be opening up again in certain like places, which does make me wonder. I wonder if, you know, I, I when I saw this, you know, I because I'm fasting and that's, you know, uh, obviously also can increase your dendrites or whatever. I had a flash vision of a future where, you know, a 13 year old girl is struggling with gender identity and she goes to the gender clinic in, in uh, Florida or wherever. And they're like, no, we'll uh, we'll just give you some LSD and we'll, we'll straighten you out. But, uh, I mean, <laughs> Ron DeSantis's new program to, well, uh, if Peter I mean, says it's okay, well, it made me wonder, know, is that I why mean, Peter Thiel is so into this stuff? Cause he thinks that maybe he could finally cure himself. I don't know, but, um, oh it, they just find uh, the right cocktail, but no, I mean, I don't know about that. I don't know if he wants to, but uh, yeah, maybe not. But, but, uh, yeah, but it's interesting. Like, and that's like, and that's not just theoretical either. Like they actually used LSD for that purpose, the same way they used electroshock and all these other type of therapies to try to cure homosexuality in that time. They used LSD as well, well just exactly. as theory prescribed. Well, it brings, it also brings up something interesting that I know like Symposia has critiqued a lot and maybe I think uh, you labeled this one uh, science direct article, Acid Liberalism. Yeah, that's a title, which, I think, right? You know, I think, uh, okay, that is the title, yeah. Um, and actually, I didn't read the whole thing, so I don't know if it pertains directly to the point I'm about to make, but I've seen this pop up in the last few years. I think I had at least one example of it. And a lot of these articles like cite many, many, you know, articles uh, that basically say something like, to stop climate change, like, make everybody take LSD. Yeah. You know? Like, that started to become a trendy argument and kind of more mainstream the last few years. And the symposium people are, like, very, I think, rightfully critical of it. And, you know, a couple of them wrote, I think this, uh, I forget what it, what it was called, but it was, like, psychedelic, like, like right-wing psychedelic authoritarianism or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'll find the name in a second. But basically, like, what they argued is that, you know, it's really more, like, could swing either way. And, you know, these arguments, though, that if you turn on everybody, they also, I think, rightfully pointed out that this is getting a little bit creepy, that people are casually saying that we should forcibly uh, dose people with psychedelics to, like, change their thoughts Just and like behaviors. Just like the... Well and their beliefs. It, I guess they're really the same thing, but that's part of the same like community pathology that you see. Like it's the same sort of violation of consent where like, oh, you need this. So yeah. like that they it's like baked yeah, into it yeah. somehow. Well, exactly, it's baked into it. And uh, but also at the same time there exists this kind of weird uh, sort of uh, I don't know, like just this sort of assumption just like there is with somebody like Frank Zappa. You know, uh, that basically, like, this is a pretty, like, progressive, liberatory, predominantly left-wing kind of phenomenon, all this psychedelic stuff. Yes. And so, like, to even bring up right-wing people taking psychedelics is, like, you're a loser. Shut up. Like, that's not serious and stuff. And really um, but when you go back and look at the actual this, history. Honestly, yeah. What's really that? driving a lot of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. With their money, I mean, I'm sure there are, like, libs that are getting way into it, too. I mean, we know about the Pritzkers and the marijuana industry. Right, yeah, I'm sure the Pritzkers Illinois. won't Like, won't they're definitely... Up. But, yeah. I think there's a bipartisan yes, interest there is. in this. But it's definitely not, you know, uh, it, it, it's definitely not, it's not not right-wing. Um, and in some cases, you know, it's like, it actually, we're, it, 
on the political right where you would see psychedelic use the most is like the extreme right yeah. right because i feel like a maybe like a you know an evangelical like conservative republican like living in the south might not want to like trip acid and watch like hitler rallies like for two weeks straight until he convinces himself that hitler was right about everything yeah which, the dark uh, elves are tripping this, on LSD, right, not the yeah. hobbits um <laughs> to use the Yarvin. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Dark Elves are tripping. And and so, like, there totally is a door. Just like we saw in the 60s, like, we have a great historical example, even without getting into the more McGowan stuff of the Manson family and how this guy, the podcast, uh, points it out that uh, on Cover Story that, you know, you had this guy giving LSD and amphetamines to all these teenagers and then, like, usually not take it himself or take very little and then he yeah. would launch into these like insane like eco-fash monologues as their guru and then they ended up like manifesting like a kind of slavish like cultish devotion to this guy you know and that happened in so many cults in like the 60s and the 70s and it's like it, it's kind of on one level it's like classic manipulative human behavior but to think that you know this uh this pharmaceutical technology of psychedelics that opens people up and makes them so vulnerable and suggestible to think that nobody with, with nefarious intentions is going to slide in there and, you know, put their guru robes on and then manipulate people, yeah. you know, to get power over people. And Come on. Like, what world are you yeah. living in? Um, especially if you say, I, I think, hey, like, we can... We could use this, like, you know, maybe if you pitch to those evangelicals that, hey, we can use this to cure some of these uh, social contagions that are going around or, or whatever, then maybe they might be more amenable. Uh, whatever works, whatever sticks. Well, that might be, I mean, they've already got a huge percentage of the population is taking antidepressants. But I, I, I would say that this is probably a whole other level in terms of they, if they started handing this out the way they hand out, like, Prozac, I you know, like, well, it, you're potentially yeah. doing a much bigger number on a lot of people and well um, yeah i think there's two different things yeah, like, where like i i can see there being like an antidepressant model like you were talking about like getting rid of the sort of disorienting effects like the visual trails and things like that to just sort of keep some of mm -hmm. the you know to and that would basically like render it like a super antidepressant that you just take constantly yeah and i think that that will be a yeah. thing but I also think that, like, yeah, like, this sort of intense trip for, like, to fix you or whatever could also be a thing deployed for various purposes. Like, not all the of them. The heroic dose. Yeah, like... like yeah, and a lot of them yeah, will be... And, that, that, and that's what I think a lot of these... My impression from what I used to hear years ago about groups like Santo Daime, which I think is one of the... Maybe it's one of the... It was one of the original places where you could take ayahuasca legally in the United States if you went to one of their, like, kind of gatherings or whatever. Um, I never went to that, but, like, for I, I knew people that did. And it sounded like when you go there, they really make you, like, chug like you're at a frat party. And then you fucking trip out. Like, it's intense. Like, you get a huge dose and people are... That's where, you know, people are throwing up left and right. They think they see themselves vomiting out demons and spirits. And there's all this, like, ritual kind of, like, music, like, being played constantly. And it's in, like, a big setting. And then some of those newer, like, quote-unquote ayahuasca churches that uh, some of whom have had, you know, deaths and, 
like medical thing fucked up things happen to them but those two are like they're all set up so everyone's like lying down the whole time and they all look like incapacitated and everyone's got like a vomit <laughs> bucket next to them yeah. and pe- it's like somebody always has a seizure like and i'm just like damn like you, you know you don't have to take that much right but it seems like that's the default is like everyone that goes to those places is just going to get bombarded with like a massive fucking dose and like what i think you know as a is the cover story series kind of gets into like when you're like how well trained are these facilitators that are like running these things and you find out like oh they have to go through like a two-week training and then like yeah they basically facil- i get so many i don't know if you ever get this but i get so many instagram ads for both like ayahuasca churches and for ketamine therapy um, like i didn't you know order through the mail ketamine I don't therapy normally but ever since i started like researching for this episode more intensively like i didn't get ads for ayahuasca churches because maybe because i'm not in la uh, i'm in la so i probably get yeah but there, there, there's a bunch i don't think i got like, ketamine but yeah. i got tons of psilocybin ads that too and it's always like a like a girl boss and like a yoga outfit like sitting with like a big like a cup of tea or something in like an all-white apartment like looking out of the window like kind of smiling placidly or something i got i just got a video the other day that was very much like ketamine like ketamine therapy is the best it's so funny that people use but it was like very but also it was sexuality like uh that's the funniest thing i've ever heard like all right who the fuck Um, thought that yeah, they were definitely off. I mean, some of the early ecstasy researchers like said early on that like you shouldn't do this in groups and like music is distracting. Like you shouldn't have people like listen to music and be in like a party setting on ecstasy. The, like <laughs> okay. The only like, true uh, like aspect of any of this is for one that like you can use these things to like control people and like you know like they would be become suggestible while they're like in you know generally speaking like you can c- manipulate them using these substances that's like the only like and also that these people will fucking say anything to get like through their drugs to like pitch their drugs they will say fucking anything oh it can cure like this oh it can totally. cause this oh it can you know whatever like yeah it'll make yeah, people yeah. and they, they have a successful make them believe they have the a successful opposite, model you know, like, yeah, yeah. They have a pretty successful model, too. One of the papers I was reading kind of got into it about how, like, a lot of the people in the same circles that, you know, started MAPS and, you know, were pioneering, like, you know, MDMA therapy were connected with some other people, I think based out of Berkeley, that were, oh, no, actually it was that article about that colonel that we'll, we'll probably talk about oh, later. Oh, yeah. Um, the one hanging out with Shogun at like Burning Man. (laughs) But yeah, he had gone to a gathering of a couple other like psychologists that were in Berkeley that ended up being instrumental in getting, I think it was Prop 216 passed in the 90s, which established medical marijuana for the first time. And, you know, I mean, I, I was like, so I was like a kid, I guess, when that got passed. And by the time I was in high school, you were starting to see these like dispensaries pop up. And it was like, it's interesting how almost like everybody in the culture, unless you were anti, really anti weed, but like everybody in the culture is almost it in on this open conspiracy of like everyone's like winking at each other and being like, 
yeah, man, it's for my anxiety. Yeah. You know, like doctor's orders. Yeah. Like everyone kind of knew it was like a fraudulent right, joke, course. but yeah. people generally felt that, and, and this kind of goes back to like the counterculture kind of self-identity of the people that were like chiefly advocating and organizing for all this stuff and and raising money for it is like they saw themselves as like the, they're the merry pranksters they're the counterculture they're the renegades and like sometimes when you're a renegade like you're a psycho not cowboy you got to do whatever it takes including like lying about like the yeah. specific medical like you know fudging studies and stuff like you got to play hardball just like the big boys and so you know everybody kind of knew that well on the one hand like it felt broadly anecdotally true that marijuana could have some like health benefits for people. It seemed like that was like, I don't know, cancer patients or AIDS patients. Right. You know, that, that was what you would hear about back then. Uh, like nowadays it's much more like anxiety, depression, like things like that, that might get brought up that, you know, marijuana could be medicine for, but nonetheless, like people kind of vaguely like agreed with the premise that weed shouldn't be schedule one, that, there should be a, a legal way to buy it. And then they worked backwards from that conviction to like, you know, get studies that could support that. And, you know, I think from most of those people's perspective, there's nothing really kind of unethical in the grander sense about what they did. It was for a greater good, right? Because we have a illogical, crazy, you know, Nixonian, you know, uh, drug prohibition system, right? The yeah. war on drugs. And this is like, you know, the Reagan, Bush, Clinton era when there's all kinds of, you know, political pressure and, you know, Biden passing the Rave Act and stuff like raising penalties on ecstasy. So I think it was easy for people to feel like they're the kind of the countercultural progressive heroes that were going to kind of like sneak one past the man and get like a loophole. And I think you can see similar behavior with how, you know, orgs like maps and like these companies and stuff are kind of doing that with psychedelics except i feel like the stakes are higher with psychedelics mm -hmm. right you know than they are with weed like you're talking about potentially very powerful psychedelics that can have really profound effects on people even if you know a lot of them are not strictly speaking you know like very low overdose potential kind of stuff like like in a sense they're sort of like safe you know broadly but in terms of the psychological impact you know this is a different class of drugs than has been legalized and marketed and there are um i think it's safe to say so many problems with the way that drugs are kind of prescribed and distributed and contextualized yes in american society now and then like the profit motive and the privatized nature of the pharmaceutical industry is like I, basically the i think the central reason why you know and then you could even go darker from that of like you know they they want us to buy their poison while they you know ban our cures yes and stuff and there ain't you know there ain't, <laughs> and stuff. Really ain't nothing new like there ain't nothing new like when have these people been reliable about this you know when like if you just follow history and the patterns of like how these things go first of all like there's two dimensions to this the first one is that a lot of these things like were literally designed or like heavily developed as weapons even weed like they were very interested in like the military applications yeah. of marijuana to make everyone just like get you know kind of in a mind war 
yeah, synthetic Aquino. marijuana is at the Edgewood Arsenal. They were they were experimenting with that. Yeah, like because in, in a Aquino type way, you know, like to uh, uh, enlist your enemy to fight with you against the war or whatever. But like really, just like you know, make everyone so apathetic that they will just like give up their arms or whatever. Like, and obviously there was interest in psychedelics as truth serums or just like you know ways to fuck with people in general or to brainwash people like as we've extensively discussed um so yeah and the thing that gets left out of all those articles like yeah yeah go on well i'm just saying if you look at history like oh hey like how does it work with or like you know if you just make a simple like how does it work with other weapons like how like let's talk about drones drones started using them like uh you know against the evil muslims and then it was the southern border and then increasingly like just on everybody within the united states yeah you like so it's the same thing with the psychological weapons like they're first like sort of using these lab environments tested on like quote-unquote enemies or like in controlled settings and then they're they take it out they take it out to the field in a big way and I mean that that's the one thing I have to say that that we have have explored extensively uh on this show that I feel like and I get it maybe why they don't go fully in this direction but like the symposia people for example I feel like there's there's still a missing chunk of history even in their critique and I don't think it's like nefarious but I just think that you know if you really want to start looking at how did all of this stuff develop who developed it and for what purposes you have to start going into like dark swampy you know conspiracy well you have to do what they're not necessarily willing to do which is like consider indicting certain drugs themselves and the thing is like well no i mean not just drugs but like the, the the indicting the people that were like really central with like popularizing them as having like actual bad intentions and not just being like kind of shitty or misguided or like I, I don't think they're willing to say that like Tim Leary was probably working for the CAA or something like that, right? Yes. Like that, or even today that some of this stuff has weird Pentagon and national security state connections. They will point it out in a in a kind of like a left liberal way, which I think is like it has value to point out like, oh, you're going to like enlighten the whole world and like evolve humanity. But like you're doing all these like IDF, like, fucking, yeah, <laughs> you know, PTSD studies, like giving ecstasy to like active duty Israeli soldiers. So they don't have to feel bad about like, you know, burning yeah. down a Palestinian village. And like, you know, same with U.S. veterans and stuff like, you know, or cops like there's definitely like problematic like you know one could say blind spots or complicities with like you know the the military industrial complex and stuff like that but i think i think there's room to go even further with it and say it's not just that they're opportunistic like i think if we really want to take it all the way back and you look at the like the connections of this like pretty much west coast psychedelic milieu that maps emerged out of and these you know entheogenic psycho not influencers emerge from you get into some very spooky shit pretty quick and you start to see that like like all this stuff today the sexual abuse the lying the sort of cultish behavior the you know the circling of the wagons the kind of like delusional utopian promises the cutting corners in research all of it 
can really be traced back to like the the earliest days. Like there ain't nothing new. All these there uh, really ain't individuals, new. and some of whom, and some of whom, like we've mentioned before, they've made appearances. People like Stanislav Graf, you know that Czech guy, right? And some of them like are mentioned and actually like basically called out and canceled justifiably in the New York Magazine podcast cover story. But like the way that they're talked about, I had to go read up like secondary stuff to find out how influential these people actually were and then find out that like even though like they're totally being called out on the on the podcast for being basically rapists and manipulative and all this stuff. Like when you start looking back at, well, what was this person doing in the 90s and the 80s? Oh, they like literally co-founded like maps with, uh, you know, with uh, Doblin. <laughs> like, you know, like they've literally been, oh, that guy was like Tim Leary's research partner. Like, oh, that guy, you know, and, and you start to see the connections to all kinds of other pretty sus motherfuckers that we talked about. And also these like these goofy coincidental brushes against the national security state that everyone kind of has a story for how you know shulgin shulgin hated war and militarism man <laughs> right right yeah or all these other guys yeah they were counterculture so they were you know outsiders and stuff like that but i think there's grounds to uh, question and explore you know what what kind of outsiders were they really and like the entire crowd of the Esalen Institute, which we'll, we will unpack, there's endless layers to it, but uh, I don't know, I don't know. I think uh, I'm, I'm getting some changing images of man energy from all of it, as well as kind of a takeover. Cause also like these therapeutic communities sort of took over or they started forming in the late 1970s and that was like a few years after MK Ultra got exposed and they destroyed all the documents and you know had all the hearings and you know things were kind of it's interesting how they talk about like basically coincidentally like the period of you know uh from like 1973 to like the 80s i think um mm -hmm. is when the psychedelic movement was like at its nadir and then it like picked up steam again thanks to this group of like these kind of MDMA uh, therapists that uh, some of whom were veterans of the 60s and others, you know, were like young whippersnappers like Rick Doblin, though he had interesting mentors. But anyways, yeah, yeah. they like are always I saying, you know, oh, it's the people, not the drugs, you know, it's the people. But really, these drugs like are they're only drugs because of people take them and people use them like you know, there's no way to extricate them. And in a lot of cases, they were actually designed by people and made by people like they like. Exist. Well, yeah, that, I think that's very. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's a, they have been studied extensively. In some cases, they're plants, but they only matter as plants insofar as like people consume them and use them as drugs. And like, what is the culture around them like that? You know, there's no way to separate that I mean, it's a set and setting in a, in a you know a unique way right what well, is people it is. are the ultimate set and, as, and as rick as rick doblin uh told marion williamson he said look psychedelics are a knife <laughs> right <laughs> you know it could be used for like you know chopping up like vegetables or like killing somebody it's, uh, that was kind of a telling comment he meant it in kind of a cool way you know it's just a tool yeah it could be used for good but or psychedelics bad and are I, more I think like a drone 
or I don't know what's like a, a better analogy. Uh, the internet, um, an iPhone, an, yeah, iPhone, an iPhone, a portal into uh, like a something that allows you to like access the internet in a way. Um, a a consciousness modifier, you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like it's uh, yeah. I don't know exactly what the the best like technological metaphor it is in terms and I mean, of like i guess what it, it really depends you know, on the drugs like i you. said you know yeah some maybe are more like a knife where they're like you know mushrooms that grow in the forest but at this point like with the commercialization of it it's not really like forest mushrooms it's probably like a little bit safer but like maybe not safer on the societal scale <laughs> uh where like uh good on the societal scale um yeah i mean nobody wants drugs like floating around that are like full of fentanyl and i want sometimes i wonder <laughs> about all that fentanyl it's like who's putting on the fentanyl i get that it's like cheap but damn like who's just spiking everything with fentanyl it's like do they want to create like a crisis just so they have finally the perfect excuse just to make everything legal with like silicon valley well, startups i don't know um that, i, I mean, don't know like i think there's a version of that that's like basically true <laughs> Like maybe I mean, not the most like the, intense the, version think, of like hey yeah hey, hey, I, like I mean I think streets with fentanyl all for a psychedelic agenda but like like two steps no, but there, back from that is true <laughs> like <laughs> I mean I think that that's mainly kind of the thing that maybe we're getting at and that uh, I feel like maybe is uh, most pertinent to be worried about is if they are rolled out on like a more massive scale kind of like opened up to everybody like are they going to have you know a mass social effect and, and especially like given the way they'll probably be like mediated and distributed to people these highly suggestible drugs can they be used as a tool to further you know really get in there and shape people's consciousness obviously it wouldn't be in like a totally top-down way per se though if everybody you know if, uh, peter Thiel's startup uh you know just corners the market and has all the patents then if like everybody has to go to a compass ventures you know ketamine lab then then you know you could have a a, a real scaled up effect of yeah like, i mean know, you're microdosing lsd every day being treated uh, in a certain way yeah maybe you got to give them your email address your twitter <laughs> uh you got to give your, your verified twitter in order to get your um you know your your weekly lsd well, also you know what i don't know but also something that is like a little scary because people are so attached to the internet already and we've seen how people's impulses like the internet has been designed to sort of like hijack our dopamine receptors and you know influence us and get us kind of addicted right even when we're like stone cold sober so you know if everyone starts like microdosing lsd or they're kind of like tripping all the time then does the internet become that much more entrancing or maybe like the metaverse you know yeah and in fact um, like there's probably I mean, gonna I mean, be there's an some... app like i mean i'm surprised this hasn't i'm sure it does exist for weed and i'm just not oblivious oh i'm just unaware of it there's definitely gonna be an app that's like shroomer or whatever you know like that you like i think there already yeah. are like they're getting it rolled out and then also the it's going to be like fully integrated like, like with yeah like your instagram stories and like your twitter feed is going to be bombarded with like teal like fucking designed uh like lsd interactive ads that are gonna like i don't know tell you like to become like a byzantine rights 
Greek or Slovenian Greek Orthodox. Well, hold up like, though, you know, because there's a, the the yeah yeah. Well, the other scary thing <laughs> about that is like this is all happening at the exact same time that we're seeing this like explosive rollout of like advanced AI, you know, like chat based yeah. AI. So. Uh, like imagine how easy it would be for Sibley to like psyop somebody into like doing a Nazi terrorist attack if they're like microdosing on LSD every day, <laughs> you know? Like, uh, like yeah, or you or know, like or fa- at this that, point, like, fake people you're in the, talking in to a real chats, person, like, you're talking to a machine. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like a machine that you know is like automated and also like cybernetically because it's like it's in a way it's almost reading your mind by having access to your data or what whatnot. You know, you could kind of envision a scenario where you do have this, I don't know, whether it's a openly an AI or it's like a fake person kind of uh, could really get their claws in you in a way that uh, would be so much easier. Like if you're, you know, kind of tripping out all the time. And also like as a, I mean, also as a salve for like the uh, the horrors of, you know, the kind of the breakdown of society that we're kind of going through. I mean, there's a huge cope aspect of it, mm-hmm. right? Where, oh, yeah. you know, they're saying like, like some of the, the press releases or articles about uh, Compass are saying like, or, or some of the executives I think were saying, you know, like we're pivoting now more away from like PTSD and more towards like targeting depression and just like vague yeah. feelings of like, you know, the world is going to shit and like exactly. I have no power and like all these other things like, oh, how convenient. You want to just like drug it? I mean, we get into Huxley, Huxleyan territory, basically. You oh know, yeah, it's relatively absolutely. Quickly. And then yeah, Huxley, despite being like a hero of a lot of these people, like really created the worst indictment of them in Brave New World because this is absolutely like Soma. But it's even worse because Soma is more of like I don't know. It's almost more of like an oxycodone or something where like or oxycontin where like it's, it's like uh, a benzo maybe. Yeah, like it doesn't seem to actually have like psychedelic effects. But what I'm imagining is like in the like we're going to have like targeted like ads that are like designed because, you know, that they're like researching this. And I'm sure it actually already exists for like weed. Mm -hmm. And I I think the same the same thing that is said about this could be said like they want it's to the advantage of people that the population like beyond these substances because the effects they produce are desirable. It is a desirable state for the population to be in as we like shift towards like techno fascism like but we're gonna have like well, yeah yeah and ads even that, like, stimulate uh, you to be like whoa like you know no for sure scare. or just you like, know your, whatever, your, your, your you know, feed yeah. <laughs> um, no for sure and and also like to tie it back to that you know that article i think it was in vice there's like one writer that covers the beat on psychedelics and i feel like is always like shilling for them um but they you know were saying like well you know, like we're facing all this climate change disaster, like, and you know, there, like, there are some kind of questionable studies that say, like, you know, like taking psychedelics like makes people care more, and blah blah blah, and kind of saying that, you know, like maybe we should just start like dosing everybody, and I think they might have even said something offhand about like maybe even forcibly if like they won't trust the science, you know, and it's like whoa, <laughs> hold on, but but also like the blind spot that um the the paper right wing psychedelia from Pace and, and Devino, who are from Symposia, that they point out that like um this sounds a lot like, you know, ecofascism, like deep ecology, right? Which has 
very, you know, dark and kind of fucked up, yes. kind of Nazi uh, fascist roots to it that even though it's also been embraced by like Murray Bookchin and like the YPG, you know, and stuff. And even in like these anarchist circles, you know, deep ecology is often talked about in, you know, positive ways like Joanna Macy. I remember hearing her on the Extinction Rebellion podcast. She's like one of these like deep ecologist anthropologist like she started out her career working for the fucking cia in france and just told like just mentions it like it's not like yeah like it was fun haha ha, i'm an anarchist like and it's like fuck you and then you know ends up like being a proselytizer of like deep ecology and yeah like when you and then when you go back and even look at like nazi ideology and like their you know volkish like beliefs about being one with nature and stuff like you know, people assuming that it just it'll turn people into like, yeah, you know, rational, sympathetic nature, liberals. <laughs> yeah, isn't like a you. It's like, not necessarily make you a good automatically thing. Like, a good person. Like, yeah, it's a good thing, but like, so is caring about family. Like, but that can also manifest. And caring in, like, about nature so much. Uh, t- tell me if you've ever seen somebody like this. Like, they care about nature so much they fucking hate scumbag humanity, piece of shit, parasites who need to be fucking wiped. But they're yeah. like an anarchist with like you know, like a like full or, like, sleeve you know, hats and shit. There's many things like that are like universe. Like that's like kind of what I was saying earlier. Like in an earlier conversation we were having, where like if something is like a significant enough concept to have like this level of like power and appeal to like humanity, then there's absolutely inevitably like you know a good and a bad side to it like it can't be all good if it has Mm -hmm. like you know the power to appeal to a significant number of people like it can all inevitably be instrumentalized something bad like you know family family is good i mean unless you're sophie lewis i guess but like you know maybe even the chosen family (laughs) is a good value but like whatever like some idea of family but like obviously there's like also a vision of like we must protect our white children or whatever that like can have very dark like manifestations like so it's the same or fucking like thing. abusive families like, where like nobody's allowed to talk about it and like all kinds yeah. of dyna- right like toxic dynamics like that could play itself out there's always yeah in any kind of grouping there's always like a potential for there to be uh you know the youngian shadow to kind of take over and uh especially i feel like you know, maybe, you know, some of these people should take themselves more seriously as psychonauts, uh, or at least if they're putting themselves out there as gurus, that, like, you are surfing, like, the cosmos, my dude, and, like, you might come across some, like, dark, weird shit, and it struck me in the podcast how, actually, I think in one of the girls who was sexually assaulted, like, her abuser slash, you know, therapist guide person said that, like a spirit had told him to rape her you know yeah and it's like that's a possibility when you give people really powerful psychedelic drugs like they could start talking to a djinn and the djinn's like you know what you have to do like it's your destiny you're gonna marry her like that is a possibility just as like there's a lot of good possibilities that could happen and you know so at the very least you would want to have some kind of like you know rules of the road yeah or something there's like the that, whole other element maybe we'll have. get into that next time because i do want to talk about like the because i find like the shamanic sort of moorings of it so interesting i feel like we should talk about that and also like the sort of uh shulgin context next time but i i mean the whole gin thing obviously because yes. it's amazing how much 
you know, it always comes up. It's an inextricable part of this, like those little dwarves, those little elves, you know, or those little, uh, mm-hmm. you know, beings or the, the strange spirits that appear. These uh, You're a god. A, yeah, you're a god. You can do whatever Nobody you want. Nobody can stop like, you. Commit a, <laughs> commit a mass shooting. Yeah. Come on. Uh, like, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> oof. All right. I mean, but you know, I mean, yeah. if it's a thing, it, everyone knows it causes hallucinations. So you know, you kind of have to be prepared for what you're getting. It's interesting and, um, how like they're you know all about like decolonizing and like oh you know or well some of them are, but like like the epistemologies and the native teaching. But like you know, traditionally speaking, they do believe in you know spirits or something that might be more analogous to jinn than whatever like the disenchanted uh universe you believe in like you know you know what you're so right you're so fucking right that is so weird that they like they're both like obsessed with like decolonializing and stuff but they're also kind of appropriating something from a culture but also like i mean like terrence mckenna would kind of talk about machine elves and stuff but i feel like nowadays like everybody everybody from hamilton morris to like the maps people like that's kind of a taboo subject like nobody wants to talk about talking to spirits or you know uh machine elves that's, that's kind of scary never talk about kind of scary to suggest that because uh, because you can't leave that out like that's gotta body. be mm. i will say i was told years ago like actually by second hand by somebody and again next time i'll i'll stop being evasive I'll, I'll i'll tell more of a full story of like you know my my past experiences but somebody said like oh yeah like no you do see like a uh, little like you know men little elf men or whatever <laughs> but uh you know just don't like talk to them like it's i think they said to be like if you ever see one of those guys like just ask him are you my teacher? And it was some weird kind of like cop rule where like they yeah, can't lie to you about and this. say yeah, yeah, that yeah. like I'm your teacher. Right. Yeah, yeah. So basically like then if they if they say something besides like, yes, I am your teacher, like they say something tricky, like a leprechaun, then you just like ignore them and like don't like trust them or take them seriously because like you never know what these little like spirit people will like, you know, pop up and what their intention will be or something like that. So it was even acknowledged to like, you know, maybe watch out for that. I never experienced seeing a little, you know, gin man or anything like that. Um, but I would have been like critical paranoid a little bit if I had, I think like I wouldn't, I don't think I would immediately like trust, you know, I'd either think it was a hallucination, which I feel like is the default. And like, it's weird how people like still talk about it, even in these therapeutic contexts about like, this was a profound spiritual experience that you know just changed my whole this or that but then if you start talking about like oh entities or dimensions or things like it all has to be couched in like metaphor i felt like i was one with the universe i felt like i was flying it was as if i was melting you know what i mean instead of being like you know something uh maybe a little more I don't know. It's it's an interesting. I have a feeling most of those people will get like upset if you ask them straight up these days about maybe because it's not serious, yeah. you know, to distract. But yeah, I don't know. We should 
stop, but I All right. read an yeah. interesting, I did read an interesting quote, you know, like traditionally, like speaking, I believe like an Amazonian shamanism, or sorry, Amazonian shamanism, Amazonian, the Amazon River, uh, in Amazonian shamanism, shaman is the one who drinks this brew. I think we talked about this before, right? So that he can I, Yeah, I, I was talking about that. It was in a Netflix documentary, illness. yeah. Yeah, like, and, and then the you people, sing a song, you sing a healing song yes, that the spirits give exactly. you, and that heals the, the patient. The whole idea that, like, yeah. you know, all these tourists come out and drink the ayahuasca too, that's like a relatively, like, newer development. And, like, you know, I even heard there might be some tribes, like, I'm sure there's variations, like, maybe yeah. some people do it, but definitely, like, they're it's not the hegemonic practice that, like, Westerners who yeah, go down to Peru like, kind of like to make it out although, to be. Yeah, there may be mm-hmm. some, but I did see a, a quote that was like, it was funny because it was like most uh, Shuar people or uh, who I, uh, you know, have seen like, uh, you know, I don't want to generalize about them or anything, but uh, they're just like so spiritual that they don't need to do it. So, uh, <laughs> you know, they generally don't. It's only, you know, Westerners who do it. It's like, oh, interesting. So like they don't do this. But that's just because they're so spiritual. Well, yeah, yeah. Naturally. Also, oh, and you, but you don't want to generalize. No, for sure. Also, um, the 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 last thing I'll I'll say on that is like in the podcast series, one of the funniest moments was they kind of touched on that and said that actually, you know, sometimes like a lot gets lost in translation from you know bringing these things from Central and South America to the U.S. And they said for one example, like they uh, some researchers had gone down to uh, yeah either Mexico or in South America. And they, you know, they went out to like a rural tribe that was having the like shamanic rituals. And I think maybe in this case, they were the, the, the sort of patients, so to speak, were taking ayahuasca in a ritualistic setting. But, you know, he was sitting there watching this. And like after a while, he was like to his translator, like what is, he's like a, this guy is like kind of passionately kind of like a speech, giving a speech to like all these people that are, you know, under the influence. And he's like, well, what is he saying? And the guy is like the, you know, the uh, the curandero is basically telling all of them, like, right. be a responsible person. Like, don't yeah. let your friends down. Like, show up to places on time. Like, yeah, don't disappoint people. Be, be a responsible be member there. of your community. Yeah, yeah if you're right. going to be somewhere, you got to be there. Yeah. And, like, he realized that, uh, like, almost in, like a Freemason kind of way, like, these were people that maybe came from lower social classes that had joined kind of like this ayahuasca sort of church and like they were getting almost like it sounds more like you would hear in like a christian church or something yeah. about like you like telling you about rules in fact, there are it was so funny to hear that, that. Use it in like the amazon and in south america as well as in the u.s yeah like oh yeah yeah there's a lot of hybridistic stuff but it was just funny to me that i feel like if you did that in an american new age context it'd be like whoa man like what's with all these rules (laughs) and like the the idea of like being a responsible member of your community and being like a good member of like your family and your friends and like just being a good person (laughs) is not really ever emphasized because it's all this other shit that's important it's all about about like you and what you you need to connect with you yeah it's you 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 and these like this this shaman down there is giving like practical ass like i have obligations i'm paying you to give me an ayahuasca experience like and you're telling me that i have responsibilities like no. no right yeah people would, i mean can you imagine these billionaires they'd be so offended yeah you need yeah. to give your fucking money away asshole you don't no, that's yeah. never gonna happen so it's fascinating to see about like i don't know like that that seems like a very normy kind of thing but it's like this shaman is like psyoping his followers 
in a kind of like it's almost like a white psyop, you know, like a white magic psyop to like yeah. make people like, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson should try instead of cleaning up your room, like take ayahuasca. Well, he's and into psychedelics, shaman, isn't he? Like yell he's at you it. about being responsible. He is. Oh yeah, yeah, he's into it. That that's referenced in the the right wing psychedelia article. But yeah, it's just interesting that that wouldn't. It's always so much more self centered and kind of like decadent in like the Western version of this, where you're right, all about you, 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 and is really, as we will explore, it's been that way from the very beginning. But yeah, we're gonna leave it there for now because we have like pages and pages and note trees. Yeah. We have a big, big work and writings and uh, people to profile and like a history to tell about all of this stuff and how, you know, it came out of the, uh, you know, the Aquarian ferment of like the 1960s and led all the way to today. This is a two hour prologue. Well, we had to integrate. Uh, this, is a, yeah. this is a preparatory, like it's setting our intentions. Yeah, exactly. Like passing set, around the set and yeah. The sage. Yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah, the set and the setting. So now, now that people know that you know we're just blindly hating on psychedelics, maybe they, maybe some people yeah, still do. Yeah, I'm but sure. I don't know how much that helps. In the next parts, <laughs> the next time we record, uh, we're we're gonna get into like the hard facts and the real, you know, the real shit, and uh, try to make sense of like the whole lineage and like what what role has it really played and what role does it want to play in the near future Word. all right so we're not going to say stay vigilant because yeah, we're not we'll done just keep going. But- yeah.